The Coco Nation show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation episode 350. How's everybody doing? Not too bad. Hey, there. Good. <laughs> You're going to find out. <laughs> All right. Let's see who we got on the panel today. In the upper right-hand corner. What's all we that got noise? a noise going on. Drum roll, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it wasn't just me. Could be. <laughs> Could be. All right, upper left-hand corner, we got Kevin Holloway. Hello, everybody. Hi, Kevin. You're a 49ers fan, right? You can tell, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next over, yours truly. Then we got Patrick Euland. Howdy, folks. And Ron Delvo. Live and interactive, as it says. <laughs> yep, and El Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. And why are you still playing football in February? Mm. It hasn't frozen here yet. <laughs> uh, let's see. Terry Stiggy. Welcome, everyone. And Henry Gerhard. Hi, folks. Welcome to the Coco Nation. My name's Henry. And today we might actually have a less than four hour show. Could be. I'd be so happy about that. <laughs> Just right. for that, I'm going to stretch the news out. <laughs> now the Be news competing for speed. enthusiasm with David Ladd. Uh, <laughs> let's see, Marco. Hey, y'all. Glad to be here. Okay. And Ken Waters. Way to go, Henry. You just gave Curtis a challenge to make the show longer than four hours. <laughs> and Alan. Exile hey, and David Ladd. Why, hello everyone, and welcome to the show today. Please sit, stay a while, and enjoy the. Oh crap! The show hey, forever. <laughs> Go with the crap, everybody. <laughs> and we got Bob Embry. Howdy, television is turned off. Where's Nick? Hi, Bob. Shh, don't say his name. He'll suddenly appear no you gotta mm -hmm. say it three times oh, oh, that nick, was only nick, once. Nick. so nick it just works once <laughs> what kind of a dilemma do we have here not the other nick 
<laughs> Let's see. Over in the chat, we've got Michael's wife. How do I pronounce that? Is it Zwiffle? Zwiffle? No. Uh, whatever it is, I'm sure I butchered it pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Tim Franklin, Daddy Burrito. Uh, panelists, 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 panelists. Tim Franklin. Daddy Burrito again. Let's see. Tom Eric Gunderson. Mark Siegel. Jim Rye. Okay. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Fred Provencia. Welcome, everybody. Okay, uh, let's see. First up, shall we talk about Amigos? Yes. <clears throat> so the Amigos are doing their seventh annual Amigathon, which is a fundraiser uh, that they've been doing. Uh, this is the seventh year now. Um, and it's basically for the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. And over the last previous six years, they've raised almost $30,000. And their goal this year is 5000 Last time I checked, I think they're around... Three or something? They're at 38, 39. Oh, just about a four. So they're doing good this year. But it's it's for a good cause. And basically, they spend 12 hours. Uh, they start at 8 p.m. Eastern this morning. And they'll be going till 8 p.m. Eastern tonight, uh, just playing a bunch of media games, interacting with the audience, et cetera, and soliciting for donations. And they donate it to the Children's Hospital. And uh, they don't keep a cent themselves. It all goes to the hospitals. So it's a good cause. And uh, uh, whose living room is that? That's boats. Is that boats? Yeah, okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Are they going to make it the 12 hours? Two oh, yeah, they, they make it. They, they Way back, they started doing it for 24 hours, so this is actually cutting it back quite a bit. That one they were having trouble with making it through. And so after today's show, check in and find out. Yep, and if you have some spare money to donate for kids, um, you know, we have to go to the hospital. It's a good cause to donate to, too. And if you want to get there, you can go to amigathon.com, I think it is. Um, yeah, there's a, uh, in the upper left-hand corner of our screen in the uh, um, upcoming events section, there's uh, their link, their website. Okay. Don't know if anyone can read it that small, but. Yeah, it's, it's amigathon.com if you want to donate, though. And it's actually got a link to the live feed, too. So they're, and they're broadcasting this year, newly this year, they're broadcasting about Twitch and YouTube. Go, go, amigos. Right. Okay. And let's see. Today we'll open up with project updates. So that's this button. Where is the button? I know it's in here somewhere. There it is. Got to find it. All right. So uh, let's see. Uh, shall we start off with Bob? You're muted, there Bob. Is. There he is. Okay, am I here? Yeah, you're here. All right, let me. I'm gonna actually switch over to my other camera. Do, do, do. All right, look at that so, pretty Coco. Some of you have seen this guy before. This was my very first color computer one from Christmas 1981 or 82. Uh, got the built in joystick, the fan. Few other holes here and there, giant side uh, ventilation switch and stuff. Um, so I've I've kind of been thinking about restoring this case, uh, the cover. I actually filled in a couple of holes here with some white epoxy, but then 
the other day I actually managed to acquire something here. A brand new cover. Here's to be new old stock. Um, wrapped in plastic. Yeah, it was in a bag, and did not. Break. None of these, none of these holes have threads in them, so this has Ooh. never been used. Ooh. It has this door permanently attached, whereas mine had the plastic frame here, so that's a little bit different. So this, I'm gonna have to take this off to get this. It, to fit. it won't work with with both. Yeah, the uh, right. F boards had uh, the door mounted on the top. Okay, so an F board top. Yeah. And looking at the RAM cover, I think your board's a little older than that. Uh, possibly that uh, RAM is under here. This is, I mean, this is an F board. Oh, it is? Okay. Is it? It, is, it was a older silver case F board. Huh. But, uh, yeah. You, you painted your RAM cover? Uh, no. No, it's just That's silver. Just oxidized. Oh, they <clears throat> pretty much all like... do that. Right. I've never seen one oxidized. It's because you're sure that was an older version of the motherboard, though, from looking at it. Hmm. Um, pretty sure it's. Well, yeah, but where'd the case come from is the question. Who cares where the motherboard came from? The, the yeah, add thing the is lid. the case. <laughs> yeah, the lid that I've got, that's. Kind of a mystery i mean it's got the well, uh well, so the lid's a late f-board lid but the case bottom that you've got where's that from did that come I mean, with that motherboard or was that yeah. from some other yeah this really? is the original case that i got with the cocoa with that board so now i'm confused as well. so yeah i mean i'm pretty sure that they did not replace the board but it might have been replaced under warranty Surely they had to use the same board because earlier boards would have had different post locations. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, and it's got mylar instead of a pin header, so. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So having a look at uh, mine on the F board, yeah, the door is on the bottom, uh, or bolted to the bottom. I think just like yours mm -hmm. is. Looking yeah, at and my... you have to really you have to remove the motherboard to get that off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking at my D board, it appears that uh, the case or the door was in the top case. At least it used to be. But your RAM badge is in the middle, mm -hmm. like an F board. That's an interesting combination. Yep, it's got it's got bits of both. <laughs> I got one more thing here. That I got in the mail yesterday. <clears throat> Held off opening it just for this moment. So brand new order from uh, Cloud9. Uh, and I didn't get it. I want to make sure that wasn't going to open up in the uh, in the mail, huh? Yeah. All right. All right. Uh -oh. Brute force. <laughs> if we can, we got some stinking badges. Nice. Oh, two meg. Yeah. Does it have a plastic on the out on the top of it? 
Plastic, no, it's a Cocoa 3 badge. I've got a uh, two meg board and a protector socket for the 6309. Should be a couple of 6309s in here too, I believe, or at least one. Oh, that's the memory board. The Triad Plus? Yeah. And then, yeah, we got the protector board and uh, extra 6309. So this is basically going to go into one of my machines. Maybe this one, maybe not. Nice keyboard. Yeah, I love this keyboard. This is the one I made. Mr. Dave, uh, 6309 keyboard. And I have... Uh, I just ordered some new key, uh, new Cherry MX keys for the second one I'm going to make. So I went with a heavier spring with the Cherry Blacks. So we'll see how that goes. But just to feel the difference, I like this one. It feels slightly lighter than the Coco 3, but it feels like typing on butter. Like butter. Uh -huh. So it feels greasy is what you're saying? <laughs> feels smooth. I wasn't going to try and interpret. Mark Overholzer will try to lick it. <laughs> it has butter on it. Yeah, that's pretty much what I got. Yeah, and you have to use the protector to get two out of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the dat board's well, there. Yeah, the dat board's on the protector, I think. Yeah. yeah I got one like that. Line. It was the same thing. Nope, nope. No. <clears throat> yeah, same thing. It appears Mark is just being sat on. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> Marco, he's being sat on. Oh, okay. I can't <laughs> see him at the moment. Is, is... <laughs> yes, he is, he is currently So if you're talking Cloud 9, I thought you meant... Arch. No, okay, yeah. He's cantankerous. Yeah. Now, everybody here on the show cool. should bug Mark Marlette, the other Mark uh, from Cloud9, to actually list on his website that he sells to make upgrades because he still doesn't. Yeah, uh, just you oh, know, really? email him directly. That's what I did. And he sent me a, a reply with a quotation. I went ahead and paid, and he sent the stuff pretty promptly. Because I know a lot of people that are, you know, new or coming back to the code community, they we keep telling them, yeah, you can get to make upgrade boards from Cloud9. They go there and go, nope, there's not even an entry for it. Only sell 512 and no, you got to email him because he hasn't updated his site yeah. in half a decade or something. Yeah, uh, kind of like Zipster, but a little bit more responsive, actually. <laughs> yeah, if you know to email him, but if you just pop to his site and try to order it, you won't find it. Yeah, right, right. And I've bugged him every Cocoa Fest. So maybe some other people bug him, maybe he'll finally do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even just list is available and email me would be good enough. He doesn't have to look at prices or have a live hot order yeah, button right. or something. Contact us. All right. Cool. Yeah. Good toys. I guess if you want to see one more thing, I did finish converting this joystick, the KC3. Um, cool. Plays pretty nice, actually. This also feels kind of buttery compared to using a craft deluxe joystick. 
The only thing I don't really care for is that this is button one and these are both button two. I think I'm you got to ride some more. <laughs> so button one, you have to yeah. use your thumb while you're holding the joystick. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah, that would suck. <laughs> it didn't right. really bother me initially until I played uh, the game on a, the game of the week. Well, that should be fixable. So it's already on the schedule to open up and rewire, right? I mean, it's already <laughs> been done once. Well, technically twice yeah, because I wired it backwards the first time. Why not three? Yeah. So I had to turn it upside <laughs> down to play, but it worked perfectly. <laughs> so I opened it up and fixed that. And then I, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's just two wires in there and they're already on a little board. So just reverse them and it'll be, this will be button two. Seems kind of weird that these are both button one, but or both oh, is that, is that one physically physical button, or is it just two? No, buttons? it's two separate buttons. They're just wired in parallel. Oh, so you could have one and two, and whatever weird one on the thumb, if you wanted mm. to. Yeah, I can make feature this. creep. Yeah, now you need. I would make the switch underneath to switch two. the top button. <laughs> well, it's interesting. There actually is a cutout for a switch and a knob down here, so I think it might have had an auto fire option. Oh, okay. So Another, even more features. That, yeah, right. <laughs> Another interesting thing is these, uh, well, first you don't have to push it to a corner, but they're like uh, multi-stage. If you push it to the middle, it like loosens it. It's still sort of self-centering. Oh, okay. So it's and still then, got a detent in the middle, so you can tell where the, the middle is. And now you can't tell where the middle is. It's cool. not so much That's a good. detent in the middle as it just has a little bit of free play in the middle. Just a little in the so you can tell though when you're in the middle. You don't have to like I like that. Right. Yeah. And also, yeah, one thing I I do like about this when you're playing, you can kind of feel a detent right at the middle, straight up and down and straight to the sides. It's not perfectly smooth all the way across. There's just a slight detent right there. Some games hard. that would work then, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. I am tempted to cover up these adjusters once now that I have it calibrated. Because I keep I don't bump them as bad as I did on the deluxe stick, but a little bit. But it's a nice stick. I like this. For five bucks. They sell these on eBay for 35 bucks. Right. Oh, it's worth that now with your upgrades, right? Yeah, right. right. Now it's 35 bucks. Now now it's worth 50. <laughs> all right that's all i got cheers okay uh let's see terry well let's see here let's see if i can switch cameras as well i ordered this a few weeks ago it came from overseas there is that coming through mm -hmm. uh -huh. yeah. so <clears throat> what it is is a education kit or a uh, Motorola 6809, I guess, a process, microprocessor kit. And I'm going to be busy doing some soldering. But let me see if I can share my screen here. There we go. Is that coming through to you guys? Yeah. Yes. Wow. So that's kind of what it'll... Um, hopefully end up looking like one <laughs> <laughs> and uh in addition to those uh segment 
uh, LEDs. It also has a actual LED screen that was an, an add-on. This was actually the last uh, kit that the gentleman had. So um, I went ahead and purchased it just mainly to see how, uh, how it was going to work. Probably just connect it up. I'm thinking of connecting it um, with my uh, Raspberry Pi, my Cocoa Pi. And and doing the serial connection there just to, just to play with it, but oh yeah, there's a picture of the other LED LCD screen that I had added to it. But anyway, I got that. It'll be fun. Is, is that just a one megahertz uh, board, or is it a rated for two? Or well, uh, let's see here. That's a good question. I was thinking it was two, but. 1.2288. It's an odd speed. <laughs> that does, oh, okay. that does seem no like no video clock. So, and that's not the EP version of the chip. It's just the standard one of the clock built in. Standard clock ones, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. So they give you a six eight oh nine A or or B. Well, B would be two megahertz rate. One and uh, the A was the one and a half, wasn't it? Uh, which What's the number? Well, shoot. Not going to focus. I forgot my damn glasses. Doggone it. <laughs> oh, That's you got your so we're seeing it just like you are then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're gonna... <laughs> well, shoot. I'm going to have to get my camera out to look at it. <laughs> Take a picture and zoom it up. <laughs> oh, it's hell of a <laughs> Right? Can't see nothing and forgot my glasses. So that ain't good. But Maybe they're on top of your head. They probably all right. <laughs> Thanks, Curtis. You're welcome. I'm in the same boat. That's it. Then the only other thing I'll show super quick was um I got a lot a while back from a gentleman who was a pretty big uh, cocoa guy. And his son, they keep finding odds and ends at their house. And so his son periodically drops by little uh little nuggets for me. So this is some books that came. Um, he also brought me a whole bunch of uh, original Coco, Coco 3, all the different books that, that he had found. With all the pages in them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing he's a couple of things. Got a joystick. A pistol grip, cool. Now, what I was happy with. Now I've got one in a box, but this one came. Got a koala pad. Oh, with yeah. stylus. And a stylus. Oh, that's that's, <laughs> <already nice. laughs> that's what I was saying. Right, the pad's kind of boring, but hey. Now, I haven't seen one of these before, but it's a uh, light pen, the data pen. So I'm going to play with that. Yeah, Spectrum Products used to sell a, a kit with that and a couple games and stuff, too. And Computer Island, I think, sold some games for it as well. And then one more light pen. Cool. What's waiting, Vader? The other thing. Oh, was a fairly large box of all of his files that he kept from just about 
anything to do with Coco. The iTronics EEPROM programmer, all, all that kind of stuff mm. from catalogs to, um, I think, any website he'd ever went to for Coco. But anyway, um, I'll go through all this stuff and uh, see what's not on the archive and see about getting it scanned. Um, disk, disk drive analyzer, I don't know what that is. Oh, JM, yeah. Does he have the disk for that? Yeah, the, actual the, disc, alignment disc? the discs are in a different section, but yeah, it's got his notes plus the original. Because that was a special version of JDOS that actually used their special, I think it was Dyson's alignment disc. It was right. a specially formatted weird thing that you can't get anywhere else. If you still oh, have that, I think you're the only person I know that still does. Right, and beyond Coco, you're the only person who has one for any computer probably because those things are like ends deep now. They're yeah, there. I, I know I saw one in here. I'll have to find it. All right, like I said, I just got this. Have not had time to go through the discs. But anyway. So what was that uh, bag you had in there? Um, bag of hen's teeth? Right. <laughs> Before the bookmark file, we had this, kids. <laughs> A box full of things. <laughs> oh, this is the... Oh, this is the kit... It was a kit that was for a composite video kit. I'm sorry. Gosh, oh, interesting. It. Oh, that's not a brand one. I'm one that I'm aware of, BNF. I'm, I'm used to the Mark Data products and a few others, but that's not one I'm familiar with. Yeah, that's interesting. So anyway, I apologize. I have a mess here. I will get it. Interesting mess. For next time. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it looks like you got some pretty cool stuff in there. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited to go through that. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, Henry, you had something? Yeah. And let me make some changes here. We'll hit that button and we'll hit that button. Okay. So I managed to find on eBay a relatively reasonably priced Line Printer 7. Now, I haven't really done much with it yet. This was the printer that I had through my childhood up until I got my own 12 character per second, um, uh, 12 character per second Daisy Wheel printer. And it doesn't seem to be completely functional because I've, I'm not plugging it in right now, but this position that the, that the uh, head is in, that position is where it stays when I turn it on. And if I recall correctly, it's actually supposed to return to the home position when you turn it on. Am I correct in that one? I, I honestly so. don't remember if the seven did that or not. You know, it has okay. a catch on there. That you, you know, it grabs the... Um, oh, uh, like a shipping log kind of thing? <clears throat> no, see that black thing on it? This? The ro little rocker thing, yeah. And that holds, that holds the ribbon. Yeah. Well, it also... Uh, my, do, you, do you have a yeah. ribbon in there? Yep, there's a ribbon in there. Okay, because yeah, um, that's what kind of um, it holds on to it, like you know. Yeah, yeah, that's what advances the ribbon. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that tracks the ribbon along. And um, I don't know if anybody remembers this about these printers, but um, the fun part about them, he says, as he struggles with the ribbon that he's only removed maybe the once, is that this ribbon, along with its siblings 
is just one loop. That's it. Right. Right. There's, there's there's no there's nothing stored in either side. It's just a loop of ribbon. So it might that have makes had it a, both... a pad in each one with ink on it. Oh yeah, maybe uh, an ink pad. <laughs> yeah. Reinker pad. Maybe. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I used, to... used uh, WD forty on it and got it going on mine. Yeah. yeah I have two of them. I'll have to um, pop it open and see what's going on with it. But the first thing I want to do is get this mechanism going and working. Um, I would have had this apart today, but this hole right here is about four inches deep, and I don't have a screwdriver that long yet. Long <laughs> <Yeah>, screwdriver. <laughs> yep. So, nope. but yep, that's it. That's what I got. Cool. Neat. I'm trying to remember the line printer seven. That did that have true lowercase? Just the descenders were popped up, or is it pre lowercase? Kind of, sorta. Um, it was definitely the 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 ROM on it was uh, five by seven, and so it did have the it did have descenders, but the descenders were at the baseline, the bottom of the right. So it shifted the lowercase letters but up. Yeah, it shifted the lowercase up a little bit. Okay. The DMP one hundred was in the same case, but it was white, and it yep. had a better ROM in it or something. A little bit better of a ROM. I never yeah. played with the DMP 100, but I, I didn't but what it. I recall somebody mentioning was that the 100 had been moved around, had had its ROM changed so that the Coco could get at the graphics characters, right? Because the Coco spit in seven bits, and this thing needs eight bits in order to, uh, right. in order, yeah. in order to. Ra Radio Shack sold a character. little cassette program that was a little software driver to fix that, and then they upgraded the 1.1 color basic ROM, so it did eight bits. So. In my case, they just upgraded my ROM for free because I bought a printer that required the 8-bit characters and they just exchanged it. Yeah, so I have no idea what my Coco is going to do with it. I've got the Coco 2 over here. Um, yeah, you have a late but... enough ROM. It'll be 8-bit driver anyway. See what we find there. Yeah. The one so I'll, find, I'll find out later. But right now, the serial port's taken up. The BitManger's taken up with DriveWire, so... So, so, no, one, so I'll put this... What's one machine I The one machine I have would work, but you had to tilt the um, printer so that it would fall back by itself using gravity <laughs> but it did work it... so you might try that i don't know well this thing i don't think that's actually going to happen because let's see uh nope it's not moving but uh-oh oh no that's the ribbon <laughs> okay yep that's about right. me okay cool. uh let's see marco you're up next And he leaves. And he's up. <laughs> he's gone. You're right. He's up. Well, I can, I can jump okay. in the middle real quick until he comes back. He got kidnapped by the cat. Okay, go ahead, then, go ahead, Rick. And then after that, we're going to do a Ron's Garage. Yeah. Okay, so am I here? Yeah, yep. you're here. Okay, so here's my non-acquisition acquisition. acquisition. Um, inside this box, there are 10 network cards and uh, the boards for 15 keyboards. But Unfortunately, that's not my backyard, and DHL doesn't know where they delivered it. <laughs> this is somewhere in Milwaukee, uh, but it's not anywhere close to me because I've checked all the neighbors' houses. So there's that. And uh, then in passing, I thought we should spend a moment of silence for uh, this. So no GPS data in the picture image? Oh, yeah, They're you might be able to pull that out. They'll get back to me, so we're waiting. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah. 
I don't David see here. J- Jason's car isn't there. <laughs> he's he's off off screen to the left. He, he anyway, has, that's all. Poor David Ladd. That, that's 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 two non acquisitions, and that's all I really have. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, Mark, you ready? Jeez. Me? For what? Uh, I had you down as a project update. No, I don't. I just said I'm only a beer for an hour. Oh, okay. Sorry. Ross, you off the list? Yep, this week. All righty. So next we have... Are we there? Yep, we're there. Okay. Um, in my um, file section right here, you will find these high-color images in a zip called ZIPP that you you can download. It has 556 images in it, and um, the images are in you know a DSK format. You know, so you can load them into your um, SD card or anyways there yeah the right there on uh, I already looked for it and there it shows up and there they are so you're welcome to take them and play with them they're things that I'm interested in and you're not so oh boy is that <laughs> gonna be fun <laughs> that, that's a way to upsell it there yeah it really so let's see um, I need to rearrange stuff here anyway um, Let's see. In one of my uh, stories, uh, it has a uh, thing called, um, well, geez, I went to the wrong place here. Uh, uh, Discussion. Okay. There we go. Well, I guess I'll cover this first. NetMate is uh, has been worked on by Roger Taylor, and he's working on the latest version. And I've got um, older stuff that I've, uh, you know, brought up again. And then uh, some people have commented on it, like, where do I get it? And you can get it in my file section again. And this is the latest version. And it works great. And uh, I used it. And here's a video I made, hopefully without sound, because <laughs> there was sound in the background. Oh, that's just a screen. Oh, that's not it. It's the next one. This one. And this is just like a dump of, uh, you know, what was in memory when I went online with it. And um, that was Battlestar BBS. And it was a lot of fun. Um, I got in there and looked at around at different stuff, and this is just like a screen dump of, uh, you know, what I did inside of it. It works great. It has all the ASCII stuff in there, and it acts properly. I did have to set the uh, screen width to 80 because it would wrap a little bit. Once I did that, it looked great. 
So there's that. And then uh, I can get rid of this now. So Roger's not charging for NetMate anymore? No, it's shareware. Like, you know, he'd like to get something for it. But, you know, if you like it, you can donate. Yeah, so people that have the ESPs and stuff there that, you know, you can log in with Telnet addresses and stuff onto online BBSs instead of right. needing a phone line, you can use that to uh, do the ANSI graphics and stuff. Yep, and I made this artwork for the next uh, early virtual Coco Fest is coming up on February 24th. Actually, Mark, do you have an update for that while we're talking about it? Because we probably should have mentioned it during the updates. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, I probably should have. Um, like I said, I have a few people that have uh, confirmed to me verbally. Erica is one of them. That's why we're going to chat a little bit later. And Rick Euland is another one. So, and I, and Paul Fiscarelli, like I said, I have a few people. I'm hoping some others will pop out of the woodwork here. So, uh, end of the month, uh, both, both Saturday and Sunday for slots. So, let's uh, get some people to show up, do some presentations. All righty. Thank you again for the graphics, Ron. Oh, sure. Let's see. I wanted to uh, move this thing out of the way so I can get rid of this. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> you know, you can run a little basic program and tell you um, what CPU is in your machine if you forget you updated it or not. And that's what the 6309 EP looks like in your machine. And uh, um, I put this here because... Um, Nick Morentes once said a 6309 in native mode can execute the same instruction as the 6809 with less cycles, even when running at the same clock speed. Some instructions, not all of them, but yeah, it's true. Yep. And then um, somebody put, um, is Nick Morentes, where, where is Nick Morentes these days? I haven't seen any activity from him in ages. Boy, they don't pay attention to our show, do they? I guess not. <laughs> you can catch up on Coco. <laughs> it's on almost every week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. And then um, Tony Pedraza wanted to know how that uh, this happens. So I guess that would be a whole show. <laughs> what, is, what does it mean by how did it happen? How? How, how to detect how it? Or how how to... is the 6309 faster? Oh, because it was done in CMOS and uh, it's microcoded. It's not hardwired. Right. And because basically there's six years of technical advancements between yeah. the 6809 to the 6309. So the attach was able to do things a lot more efficiently. I thought it was magic. No, it's just newer <laughs> technology, <laughs> which is indistinguishable from magic. Right. And um, Subisa Software, um, what's his name? Alan Huffman. Alan uh, posted on my wall about him getting this uh, machine. It looked real nice. And I said, if you got pictures, show it. And he said, it's in storage. He's going to get it out and clean it up and get it going. That's an older model color computer yeah. one or just color computer back then with the label on the left and the RAM badge on the right. Right. And it got me to show mine, which is in great shape. And he said he thought it would be yellow still. I think he said it here somewhere. Um, he said, uh, I don't know. Anyway, so <clears throat> this one's still in the box. You know, and I get it out every once in a while. And it's still white keyboard. I mean, I don't know why it, you know, what is it that causes, is it heat? Because it's, it's a bit in my garage and it's 90 in my garage, you know, could, could be a hundred too on different occasions for the last, you know, 12 years and it still looks white, you know, it doesn't look mm -hmm. uh, yellow like to get. So well, I'm amazed. Ultraviolet's the big one. Yeah, I was sneaking 
that it's also the formulation in the plastic. Yes. He says as he pulls his Coco 2 over for the key. Yeah, I've, I've um, read somewhere it's the fire retardant and the ultraviolet light don't go together and you end up with yellow fire retardant in your plastic. Yeah. Hmm. So like I look Which, at my Coco 2, my Coco 3 uh, 2 keyboard here and all the gray keys show no discoloration whatsoever. They're not turning right. they're not turning yellow at all. Um but when I look at the white keys yeah, these, over here, these are actually yeah. quite yellowed. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering if they used a different plastic. I think they're both double shot, if I recall correctly. But I do believe it has something to do with the plastic it's made of, as well as UV exposure for whatever type of, uh, you know, whatever type of thing you've got. Yeah, and that's just how they look at look, how how much they give you for a cable <laughs> for yep. hooking up. And the reason that this is not all messed up is because that cable is still tucked in the side, <laughs> side where it belongs, and not wrapped around the plastic case where it would have eaten through it and completely yep. ruined the entire computer. Yeah, this is a 16K <laughs> extended color basic, and the you know sticker on the back was punctured. So. Anyway. Yeah, so it looks like the RAM badge says 4K. That's the original. But yeah. did you get it upgraded elsewhere? Because Radio Shack no, usually it came upgraded to the... that way. Oh, okay. And it went, must have been done years ago because I, it came with a collection I bought for like, I bought a, a large collection that fit in my van, you know, was which Ron's garage comes from is all these different computers. The MM1 was in there and all my uh, Tandy 1000s and monitors and Cocos and you know, printers and all kinds of stuff I got. I really lucked out on a call, you know, kind of like what uh, Brian does. <laughs> Except Brian does it every week. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, I, I didn't really pay attention, but most color computers say custom manufactured in USA when it's the USA, I guess. And I wonder if it says that if it's from a, a Korea. Does it say custom manufactured in Korea? For Let me look. No, it just says made in I Korea. I think it just says made in Korea, I think. So not, yeah, the custom went out when when they went overseas. <laughs> anyway, so um, this well, is that's Danielle. how they could get away with some of the foreign parts, and then final assembly was here. Right. They did bouncing mm -hmm. around, because as I recall, this, a lot of the earlier Coco 3s came from Korea, but the later ones came from the U.S. And this is Danielle's setup. Um, she has quite a, a collection of cocos and uh, this is an older one just like the one i posted up above but she is that, got that at 201 ago. that i see there that's what i was just thinking right there to that the looks right of the cocoa yeah right above the below the meter yeah. that, okay right <laughs> you want to talk about some serious my childhood there aside from the upgraded keyboard you, well, you can get a oh, better my. picture of this at daniel.com. Right. I mean, look what she's plugged it into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it says Moog, Moog, Moog. So she must have a Moog there somewhere. Or several of them. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, I also went online recently with uh, the, the older version I got of NetMate, which is uh, 26. And now he's doing 54, I think. And uh, I really enjoyed um, going to this one. I think I showed this last week. This particular um, BBS has, you can go and look up the moon phase in text, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Well, let's see what else was I going to show. Um, 
Yeah, this I will mention there's a new segment that actually is going to be talking about logging in with ANSI graphics and how they compare between Netmate and the original Twilight Terminal by Sockmaster. Right now, uh, since we talked about this, um, there's a um, there's this that came up. <clears throat> for a few vintage computers, inspire as much active devotion as the Tandy Color Computer for 3 first introduced in 86. The Coco 3, as it affectionately is called by its fans, never sold as many units as home computers from Atari or Commodore, but that engendered an even stronger loyalty in its users. And I already got the uh, article pinpointed toward the end where it talks about um, a friend of ours. Uh, where is it now? I had it right there. Here, color computing programming assistant. I don't John know why Kowalski. it says that. Yeah, John Kowalski. It talks about, all about him and uh, has a picture of him. And you might want to read this. Um, you can go on my site and look at it. The link is there. And it talks about uh, all about him, um, you know, what he does, what he did. Um, has Twilight term on there. Yeah. And if you want a really detailed uh kind of summary of all that we actually when we interviewed him we've covered a lot of this stuff too so mm -hmm. check out our back there episode interviewing john kowalski alias Sockmaster. yep and he's the one that did the um all the pictures i come that come from his yep. program, high colors high colors from him yep yep, yep. amongst that's many fun. many other things <laughs> yeah that's that's the place you want to go in my uh ron's garage what else did i have um <clears throat> If I can get rid of this thing again. Known perpetrator. <laughs> why Why does it there? Does it have to be there? And I want to see my thing at the top. How do I get rid of it, guys? This? Yes. No? I got more. I don't know. What are you there. trying to get rid of? Okay. That's it. All right. I did it. And now... Um, See, I have more pages to show. Where'd they go? They crossed the very top? See, yeah, yeah, I see a bunch of tabs locked. on the top. Yeah, here. Right. Control tab. Maybe that. Unless what you're seeing on your end is different than what we're seeing. I see tabs all across the top there. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah it must be you're seeing something different. Are you in full screen? Exit full screen and you're... I tried to. Will make sense again. There. And... There. And is this the one I want? No. Oh, well. Look, I'll just stop because uh, the other stuff isn't that big a deal. It's just I wanted to show... <clears throat> if you go into media on my um, Ron's Garage, you'll see hordes of pictures that i've done and stuff that i've showed and um if you select one you can go to you know where it is and th and that really makes it easier to um go through all this stuff rather than scrolling thousands of yards up you know <laughs> however you talk however you say it but that's about it guys thank you i thought that article was pretty cool with Sockmaster on there yeah, I think I covered it. Uh, I have to check the date of the article, but that was published a while ago in PC World, and I think I covered it some years ago. But a lot of people that have joined the Koga community again later probably have never seen that episode. So thanks for bringing it up again. Yeah. 
I don't want to go too far back, but uh, you can see a good example of different plastics given different uh, oh, yeah. stages of yellowing here. Right. Can you zoom that up? Yeah, there you go. This is where Nick Morandi's has mentioned that the Australian cocos used a different plastic than the American ones, and his case and everything else doesn't yellow at all. Yeah. So this, yeah, one, I mean... this came from uh, National Parts. I ordered this for my cocoa one right before I found a deluxe keyboard on the shelf for $13. This was $35. <laughs> and that's Very the melty keyboard, and, and those yeah. um, are still square where the brake key is you would right. think it would be almost round but it's not and this is like i think it was installed in a cocoa two from the factory maybe it's the korean one or the american one i don't know maybe that's got something to do with where it was manufactured rick right, do you know much about that rick since you're a keyboard I've, guy i was i've been told repeatedly that the plastic you sold in the united states had to have fire protectant in it and the stuff they used yellowed which made the plastic appear. Yeah. So, I don't know if that's true, but I've heard it from several locations, so I'm going to go with it. <laughs> I agree. I've heard that too. That seems consistent with what I've heard too, and that's also out no. Apple computers and Commodores also. Was that rule in effect in 1980 when, like, uh, or maybe 81 when uh, that one that I showed you guys that had a nice, bright, clean keyboard? Do you think that that's not well, fire retardant if it's, in it? If it's been in a box in the garage for 30 years, it's still going to be white. It takes some time with the window light shining on it to get yeah, this Yeah, it needs nice... a UV light has to hit it to <laughs> trigger that. To get this beautiful tan, just like, you know, people. <clears throat> so even with a Coco 3 that's in a box, you're not going to get yellowing? If it just I wouldn't expect it, I've got plenty that don't show that. So yep, definitely don't store it on an active tanning bed. That would be my mm -hmm. recommendation. Right. In the sunlight, none of that. Yeah, tanning beds in Arizona aren't very common. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have one. It's called outside. Right. It's outdoors. Exactly. <laughs> okay, well, that was uh, everything we had listed on Project Updates. Is anybody else? Now, Brian one? Weezer just popped in, so maybe he's got something before we exit the segment. We should ask. Oh, there we go. No, nope, I'm just uh, I'm just driving, guys. So thank you for asking. Hey, okay. hey Brian, and all your collection and, of uh, cocos, um, have you ever opened up a new one and saw any yellow inside on keys or um, on the case? Not that I recall, no. And I forgot to ask in my section. Um, or forgot to tell you in my section, I've put new files on the Coco.io Discord, the Coco.io development channel. So if any of y'all are following that, there's new stuff there. So go check it out. Thanks. Is it, is it bug fixes or enhancements? Or Yeah, ma mainly bug fixes. I did a pre-built um, install so you don't have to go to GitHub and get all the source and put it all together. And okay. Build Coco Shelf and Thank all you. that other stuff. So, and I even... Uh, cribbed a copy of EOU and just installed everything in it. So you can just boot that and start playing. Yep. Go for it. That's it's full public. So speaking of that, you don't have to ask permission from me or Bill on that one. Just go for it. Curtis, how does, yep. um, I've got the 7.7 .7 something, 7.5 is it a version of, um, SDC. And I'm wondering how I could make it 
so that it goes. Can you install the older version backwards so that you can run the EOU? Yeah, again? that's flashing the firmware. You don't have to read flash STC DOS itself. You can leave the newest version of that. That's fine. But if you're trying to boot, and this is only if you have a 6.09, it works on a 6.809 because it's, it's slower and it doesn't have a problem. But the latest firmware for the STC does cause 6.09 EOU to crash every time, basically. Uh, right. 6.09 version will still work. But uh, if you just flash it back to one previous version, not Alan, if he was still on the call, I think he would actually remember the actual version numbers. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, the... Um, oh, there, yeah, you're out there, sorry. Yeah, there's two parts in the Coco SDC. There's the SDC DOS which you can update to 1.75, just fine. And then there's the microcontroller firmware. And the latest microcontroller firmware, 127, that's the one that has something going on with uh, EOU 6309. So if you roll back to MCU version 121, then that will work fine with SDC DOS set 1.75. I will also mention that uh, Tim Linder and some others are actually working on trying to get a 6309 Coco to Darren Atkinson to, because he doesn't have a 6309, he has 6309 chips, but like me, he's not a solderer, so he can't do the upgrade, so it just sits there and does nothing. So he can't even test it to find out that this would have been a problem. Uh, so we're trying to arrange for him to actually get and receive a 6309-based Coco so that he can actually have something to test this on and then fix it up. So hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. Yes. I'll donate one to him or swap a motherboard or whatever. Okay, get, get in contact with Tim Linder then because Tim was trying to arrange it. I think he's in Atkinson's in uh, Utah somewhere, so we can arrange it. He's, he's active on the Discord, so we can probably get his address and stuff there. But yeah, he wants to, to get some either somebody to upgrade one of his machines for him or to donate one that he can use for testing on STC well, firmware, etc. Is he coming to Coco Fest? I doubt it. I don't think he's ever been to one. Oh. Well, that's a good way to get a, get an upgrade done. Yeah, some people just don't go to trade shows, though. What trade show? Ours is just a big party. Right? <laughs> There's no trade going on here. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. Um, Fred Provence said, Utah, what? So well, yeah, I think Fred's in Utah too. So maybe Fred, yes. well, Fred I don't know if he's up to upgrading a Coco 3 to a 6309. <laughs> I'll add Dr. Pepper would never made it up to Chicago for the 4th of May. <laughs> Actually, I think it was uh, uh, Kevin pointed out though that the Dr. Pepper that was dumped was not diet. So that's not the type that Dave normally drinks. So we, he should mm. be fine. So we're oh. safe. Ready for commercials and then game on results? Sounds good. Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should too. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer.
The Cocoa Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Geyer, Brandon Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Karen Askham, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, David Ladd, Derek Smithson, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Wabke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Binman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, TJB Chris, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., and William A. Thing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Phosphatide says, Greetings everyone, Brandon here. I managed to pick up a operational TRS-80 Model 3 just yesterday at a flea market for a massive bargain. It's not a cocoa, but I figured I can at least start here. Grizzly Adam says, Hello everyone. Former cocoa user, still a big fan. I am doing a type-in program for my newsletter and need some help getting my program to load in an emulator. My name is Adam. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Micro Hobbyist Frederick, Paul Fiscarelli, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Hey there everybody, welcome to this week's Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Middle Kingdom. We had a total of 12 players. We had Shenley with a score of 3. Mr. Dave 6309, 26. L. Curtis Boyle, 3292. Ed Rhodes, 4350. Worm Food, 4511. Coconut Bob, 5401. Tasman, 5642. Micro Hobbyist, 10622. Canadian Retro Things, 10692. Sloopy Malibu, 10838. Jim Rye, 11218. And this week's number one score is Dr. Ted with 11,554. Thanks everybody that played. We'll see you again next week. And the Coco Nation salutes Dr. Ted. Salute. Salute. Yeehaw. <laughs> that's twice. That's two weeks in a row for him. Yep. Right. A new champion. New champion. Taking down the old guard. Dr. No. Ted. But I haven't seen Buck Owens in a while. No. 
Does he have a new name? I guess um, I'm probably choosing games that he doesn't <laughs> enjoy. So, yeah, he's he's a bit picky. <laughs> if he doesn't enjoy the game, then uh, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't bother. Play. He's been pretty busy though. He's mentioned on the Amigos. They haven't seen him there much lately either, and it's he's been busy with real life. What's that? Real life. It's what's keeping me from getting Nitrous Nine UU finished. That's what it is. <laughs> right. All right. So Middle Kingdom. What shall we say about Middle Kingdom? Well, let's re- let Rainbow do the talking. This is from December 1984 of Rainbow. Um, now, the reviewer here was very kind to this game. <laughs> that sounds like a normal Rainbow review. So he's saying the graphics are exceptional. Oh, yeah, they're good. A keyboard response is excellent. I'll, I'll agree with that. Uh, he does mention that score and time have no relation to the success or failure of the game. So both the score and the time are just kind of uh, thrown in there. Uh, basically, it's a well-developed software game, well-written, graphics are tremendous, game operation is smooth as silk. Um, he does, however, say it's not a very difficult game, and it can be played by children as well as adults. And it's a winnable game. That's what he liked about it. And because uh, he thinks too many games on the Coco were just. Uh, Arcade base where it's basically just, yeah, you know, play until you die until and you die. try to get a good score. He, he and this this author enjoyed the fact that and especially his kids enjoyed the fact that they could beat the game. They could make it to the end. Uh, the only problem that he had with it is that it's a very random type game. There's no hint or clue to where the creatures are. There's no way you can avoid the monsters. You have to fight even if your strength value is almost gone. And the success and failure of the game is somewhat left up to chance. Effects of the weapon also seem to be randomized. So Accurate. I, I very much agree with the end statement there. But he did really enjoy the game. I think he... Probably enjoyed it more because his nine-year-old kid had a lot of fun playing it. Now, Hot Coco wasn't quite as nice. <laughs> uh, basically, they say that they doubt the game will be of, in, of much interest to seasoned adventurers, uh, but it might just be the thing for younger gamers. The graphics are nice. Uh, the sound of the footsteps are delightful. It's a fairly standard adventure quest. Uh, the only problem is this version is unusual for the lack of choices it offers. Basically, you only have two choices. The direction in which you will go and the weapon you'll use. You don't even get an option to fight or retreat. And uh, the documentation says different weapons in different combinations will be more effective against cr- certain monsters, but this author did not find any examples of that, and I'll agree with that. The weapons seem to be completely random. Now, he's mentioning it says, except the wizard is more likely to cast spells effectively, which makes sense. Did you find that when you played the magician? Uh, A little bit, I guess. Except that there were just certain creatures that 
spells failed against automatically. Apparently, though, I guess I didn't highlight it in here, but one of the authors actually said that you should use your spells immediately when you pick them up, because if you keep them in your inventory, they become less effective. Oh, okay. So they should be used as soon as you get them. Um, so anyways, yeah, Middle Kingdom isn't challenging. Um, I found my lack of influence over my character's destiny to be, destiny to be intolerable. If there's a young person who has the imagination to be captivated by a role-playing situation, but doesn't yet have the logical skills to handle more sophisticated adventures, you should take a look at this one. I would agree with that. Yeah, so it's, yeah. It's like a beginner's adventure game. <laughs> so... And my cat barfed all over the floor, so I guess that was uh, a vote of confidence. That, that was his Sorry. review of the that game. Was, <laughs> that was your cat's. Okay, your cat has put in the review of Middle Kingdom. That's no, I have to agree. Feeling. I mean, it, it was a very relaxing <laughs> game to play, but uh, yeah, there was no skill, no anything involved. It was just luck of the draw and uh, just randomly push buttons and hope that it works. Yeah, the only the only bit of quote unquote skill would be you know remembering where in the maze you are because the you have the entrance way, and then you got your separate areas of the buildings you're going yeah. through. There's the catacombs, the pyramid. So you kind of have to know the map if you're trying to get out quick without dying. If you've got all three rings, for example, but that's and about the map it for does skill. change every time you play. So yeah, I mean the catacombs, the pyramid, and the temple are always in the same place, but their layouts are different. So yeah. I mean, during the live stream, my, my comment was it just it's it's too random. Yeah, that's its biggest flaw. It's got the uh, beginnings of a good game. And as we were saying on yeah. the live stream, it'll be a really good game when they finish making it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was my comment. Exactly. Well, I said on the live stream, I didn't say who made it. Brought to you by Sloopy Malibu. Yeah, that's one somebody, if they had a lot of spare time and, and you know inclination to do so, should disassemble it and actually see if they can tidy it up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. When we'll even make a fighting mechanic in it and give you the option to run. Yeah, they've got the animation, the character walking, like just had a few swinging a sword or pointing yeah. a stick or something like that for the spells. Yeah. And I you would... could you should be able to choose to block high, block middle, block low, depending on how you think the guy's gonna attack. And see, Kevin Kevin Holloway is actually showing the screenshot of the intro screen with the proper credits that I'm used to seeing. Rather than the, I'm suspecting they're hacked now. The other one, yeah. So what was that, Sloopy? Oh, someone actually heard me. Yeah, going through the uh, tunnels. Uh, basically, I just did a wall follower routine. Just walked along the left left edge of the wall until I got through the entire thing. So that uh, you wouldn't, I wouldn't really have to remember or map out what the uh, dungeon looked like. Well, it's actually, it's usually not that hard because there's usually only in each section, maybe two or three different intersections that you have to remember. So, yeah, I'm used to playing games with a lot more complicated maps than that. So, like Gates of Delirium, <laughs> I found it quite easy. Well, Gates of Delirium, um, I play well, a lot of the Dungeons and Dragons games for other systems. So. Yeah, well, you're smart and 
You can remember things. <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> SMRT smart. You, you yeah, Sloopy Slo- Slo- wants the two-room adventure game. That's what he wants. Right. <laughs> or something like Gateway to Abshai, where the rooms don't really matter. You're just going through and when you get to the when you get done the 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 goal of the game it ends. You so, don't have to figure out how to get out. Sloopy, have you ever tried in a little adventure game called Hunt the Wumpus? Uh, it oh yes, <laughs> I played the TI ninety one nine one, which actually has a, a sort of a graphical port version. To the Coco. Originally, Hunt the Wumpus was a uh, word yes. was a text adventure. Yes, I played it on the teletype. So, yeah. here's here's a fun one for you. I first I first played it on the Hewlett Packard HP forty one. Ooh, a calculator? Yeah. One would think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Actually, I, that would not, not be a very... Oh, there we go. Terry's got a copy of it. <laughs> yeah, I first played it on a... Um, a a, 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 uh, a deck printing terminal that was wide carriage. Mm-hmm. Although, unfortunately, we don't have a copy or a version of Hunt the Wumpus on the uh, color computer, so... Yeah, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I remember doing that oh. as a type-in back when I was a kid. It exists. We can find it. Is it? Okay, so yeah. that is a version. I don't know. Terry's screen is so tiny. My 50-year-old eyes can't really see it. All right, hang on. Hang on. There we go. Oh, that is a Coco game. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of very it over the... Uh, from the TI-99. The graphics are very, very similar. Yeah, okay, isn't so... that the one that um, uh, Neil. Neil did? Yeah. Neil Blanchard did? Neil, Neil yeah. sold it. He, he didn't write it. So I'm trying to remember who oh, wrote he it. Really, he did so. Right. Yeah, he packaged it together. Yeah. Okay, well, there. I, I stand corrected. I've I've never actually seen the Hunt Lumpus for the color computer. There was um another clone of it uh, early on in like 81, 82 called Sasspus, I think it was called. Some weird name like that that was sold in Rainbow. And there's a type in Wampus that's been around, floating around the basic, uh, the old HP basic ports since mm-hmm. before there was even a Coco. Yeah, wasn't there one in uh, David All's uh, yes. basic computer games? Yeah, that's yeah. where I first played it, on a pet. <clears throat> okay. One now, don't I feel foolish? Ken has wumpus <laughs> coming out of everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ken. I got my glasses now. I can find stuff. Sorry, man. <laughs> well, hunt my wumpus. <laughs> I, had type, I had the type ins. Yeah, the type ins that I was was playing with included hunt the wumpus and Eliza and a few others. So, although right. there was something corrupt in Eliza because she kept mangling the text that she was fed. User error. Or maybe she was um, <laughs> going insane from the person she's talking to. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, Sixy, Karen it. in the chat is mentioning that Blabia Computer Games uh, made a version for the Dragon as well. So there's another Wumpus. Wumpus all over the place. Available. Well, we see a new video coming from Ken pretty soon. Every Wumpus ever compared. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's the challenge for... Uh... Here we go again. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay, so, <laughs> um, yeah, the other game that we played, well, oh, I guess first, 
does anybody have anything else to say about uh, Middle Kingdom other than it's a little? There's too no simplistic. strategy or tips. You're just no randomly hitting weapons yeah. and see what happens. <laughs> it reminds me of the news on this show, except it's interactive. It's interactive. You, you randomly hit things. It's an interactive nap. <laughs> oh, it's an interactive nap. Okay. My best tip for playing the game is good luck. <laughs> The only winner is not play the game. <laughs> right. The only way to win is not play. <laughs> uh, so the other I game that we played was Eliminator. And uh, yeah. Does anybody have any tips or tricks about that game? Don't use a joystick with a button on top of the stick. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent advice. Um, um, I, I the one tip I have is if you're trying to hit the things in the bottom, which recharge your shields and, and shots and stuff, is to fly ahead a bit, you know, so you're not flush left, and then back uh, diagonal down and to the left, so you can actually try to catch them a lot easier. That's yeah. one thing I found. And start from the close to the top of the screen to do it, then you don't get crashing into the mountains because you can't crash into the mountains it's not allowed or the top wave thingy the top wave thing also kills you you can fly through the mountains is there a toilet in the yeah i heard you could fly through the mountains too but you can't somebody lied to me yeah i mistook <laughs> it for a, another game by adventure national called rear guard hey, sorry can. ron what what did you say ron well he said flush left i thought there oh. were maybe a toilet in there <laughs> Yes. <laughs> That's where my scores went. You're blowing up toilets. I'm sure in those buildings there's some toilets, so Yeah. Catching the humans is I think worth a fair bit of points like and you can yeah. usually see like a ship will carry. Now I have noticed that sometimes a ship is carrying a human but I shoot it and it, the human disappears and other times it you drops. You kill him. Cuz you kill him. You shot him. <laughs> so is it two rapid fire shots then because I I could swear I sometimes I hit it no once and it was idea. gone. I have okay. no idea. Somebody would have to disassemble. There's probably just a um, like a randomness to whether the human survives the explosion and falls. No, maybe that would make sense. Now, did, did any of you guys that have multiple systems get a chance to try that same game on some of the other systems to compare? Or are we saving that for the next uh, live challenge? Uh, I looked. Uh, I tried to find one for the Commodore, and the original. Um, Adventure International one. I couldn't find any working copies, and somebody remade a copy of it, which is completely different and nothing to oh, do okay. with the Adventure International game. So, I know it's one Nick Morantes, and I wish he was here today. He said it was actually a fairly good one on the Terra City Model One and Three. So hopefully we'll get him on, or at least you know get somebody to try it on a Terra City emulator. Yeah, Model One and Three. Were you talking about the uh, game Eliminator by Houston Associates? That might be it. Yeah, that's nothing like the Adventure International. Yeah, because I, right? I tried the Adventure International one and it didn't work, so I thought, oh, I'll try that one. It's same name. Maybe it's... Uh... But no, <laughs> not the same what, game. Uh, what okay. were you trying to use it on? Uh, a Commodore 64. And disc? Um, uh, a Retro Rewind Kung Fu Flash cartridge. Ah, Try using it in Vice with real uh, disk drive. Okay. Because if the um, 
if the disc has a uh, high speed loader in it, it may not work with the Kung Fu Flash. It also didn't work with the um, other one, Jim's Jim Brain's uh, Easy Flash Three. Easy Flash, yeah. Same thing. Uh, you'd have to try it with a Pi fifteen forty one on real hardware, um, or a device uh, with the real. Got one of those right here. All right, then you're set. Try using try it in there because if it has a, uh, a fast loader that the that the cartridge doesn't recognize because the cartridge will recognize certain fast loaders and replace it with a loader that's compatible with the cartridge. But if it doesn't recognize the fast loader, then it won't work at all. Well, geez, why can't the Commodore have something like the Coco SDC? Is this the Commodore 64 <laughs> section of our show? Yes, yes it is. Yeah. <laughs> Glad you picked up on that. Ron. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to see like Adventure International and several of the games we've encountered this before covering some of the games. They, they're the same game, supposedly. And the list you can buy for the C64 and the Apple II and the Tier City Model 1.3 and the Atari 8-bit and the Coco. And the games are completely different. And this is one I think that, if I remember correctly, is fairly different between them. So I thought it'd be pretty cool to see them simultaneously. So yeah. I'll try to get something working on another system for uh, the show on Thursday. And Sleepy, if you can find the Atari 8-bit version, that'd be awesome, too. Okay. Yeah, I usually will play the games the week they end, so. Speaking and I'll, of I'll, the... Uh, I'll bug Nick to, to get the Tier City uh, Model 1 and 3. I don't know if he'll be able to make it, because he's got usually got people over at that time. But uh, if he can send me the, the emulator I can setup. Fire it I could probably fire that up on an emulator on my computer, too. So Okay. Oh, yeah, and Kevin... Uh, yeah, for the people that are rich enough and lucky enough to have an Ultimate 1541, then yeah, so you could do it on that also. <laughs> what is that? That's a, like 1541s are a floppy drive, isn't it? The Ultimate yeah. 1541 Plus is somewhat like the Coco SDC, but they're obscenely expensive and they're slow to make them. So there's like a, a year to a year and a half waiting list for them. Oh, jeez. Yeah, they, that's almost as bad as the Gimme X. Yeah, they've been out for about uh, eight years, I think. But they're like two hundred dollars, two to three hundred dollars. But they are wow, that is expensive. Yeah, they, is it are you sure card it's based not for or? the Amiga? <laughs> no, it's for the it's for the it's for the uh, sixty four. I used to have one, um, but in in my personal opinion, a Pi fifteen forty one. It would be similar functionality, even though the ultimate does have more functionality. Um, for but if you're just playing games and such, the Pi 1541 will work just as well. All right, well, shall we talk about Thursday night's show? Sure. Sloopy, would you like to talk about Thursday night's show as I show some footage from Thursday night's show? Oh, me talk about the show. Why would I do that? Um, Because you host it. Oh, I do? Oh, cool. Yes, we had people coming and playing and talking about the games. Uh, we had uh, seven people playing. Only six showed screens. One played but didn't show a screen. I'm trying. I don't remember who it was. Um, some had fun. Some played games. Some some played Middle Kingdom. Some had fun. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, overall, it was a quite successful uh, uh, show. Um, but we're still missing uh, a bunch of people. I want to see a full screen. I want to see nine people playing at once and not just for two seconds. So, but yeah, it was, uh, I don't know what more to say because most of the things are covered in the, in the main part of the show. So it's not like there's really much to say on that. Other uh, than when should they be joining us for this and where should they be joining us for this? Oh, yes, we can cover that. Uh, they can join us Thursdays. Please show up before eight o'clock on Thursdays. Eastern. Eastern U.S. time. Yes, I'm looking at at those people that are even here, like uh, Ken. Huh? Yeah. What? Eight or four is not the time to show up for an eight o'clock show. <laughs> Maybe I should tell everyone this: the show starts at at seven fifty p.m. on Thursday. Maybe they'll show up by eight ten. Then. So, so I was four minutes late. Sue me. Eight oh four. My gosh. Yeah. Um. So, seven fifty p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> come to the Coco Discord. The last time I was late, I hadn't ended up having to stream the show. Yeah. See, it could happen well, to you too. So be there. Yeah, well, you got there at eight oh one, but that's fine. Space record, I mean, and also, as you can see from the screen right now, you don't have to play the game of the week, you can play <laughs> any game you want to on the, on Coco. the Coco or any game that is identical that is identical to the game we're playing on another system. Do you yeah. guys get that much? Like, uh, somebody come on with a dragon or something? No, but there, I there's been rumors that people have played Atari on there especially when yeah you will be severely chastised if you uh play a different system but you can do it yeah when i've yeah people who, when we've been playing in ufo 2 games uh people have been playing uh the atari version of them yeah it, it's actually cool to compare them too because a lot of these i didn't see on the other platforms at the you know back in the day so it's kind of interesting to see how different they are how close they are to each other and that game that coconut bob is playing that actually looks pretty cool yeah, we demoed it at Boatfest uh, last year with yeah. the 3D glasses. So so that's a game that you can actually set to be in 3D. And if you wear 3D glasses, like the old-fashioned red and blue 3D glasses, Ooh. the game looks fairly 3D through that. And who wrote that one? Steve Bjork. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom, it's not a problem playing on a, on a dragon. We're talking about other systems like the Atari. Yeah, not a Coco cousin. Something that's not a Coco cousin. Like yeah. um, Mark O, I'm looking at you with your apples. Yeah, I'm looking at <laughs> apples. I mean, at least when I played on the Atari, I was playing something that was related to the Game On Challenge. <laughs> I guess technically the game that Mark O was playing last week was kind of like Middle Kingdom. Just a way better version. Do I remember correctly? Was there an, uh, an Apple clone called like a Tangerine or something? There's quite a few there Apple clones. A, yeah, Franklin, Ace, uh, 
The Tangerine is not a uh, Apple clone. It is a computer, but it's the reason that it's sold so crappy in North America is because people thought it was an Apple clone. Oh. Oh, okay. But it, I couldn't tell you what yeah. what any of the others are. Were are, were there any other fruit named ones? <laughs> uh, there was pear. Yeah, there was a pear. <laughs> there was an orange too, wasn't there? Yeah, orange was an Apple clone. All right. I just remember the Franklin commercials always had Ben Franklin eating an apple. So you would know. <laughs> yeah, there was a Banana Junior 6000. That's so you, from uh, Blue County. You yeah. could actually compare apples to oranges then. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a pretty good emulator called Pear PC that worked actually very well on XP. It's still actually in. Production. And you're you're playing glove on here. Did you have we had that challenge in the challenge yet? Yes, we have. Oh, okay. Say it does look familiar. Yeah, that was very early. Glove actually it wasn't that early. It was only about forty five weeks ago. Forty five weeks ago. Yeah. Are you sure? Something like that. Where was I? I don't know. Asleep. Do you, do you guys uh, <laughs> discourage games that make noises as you play them, or do you just turn? No, we turn, just turn the sound turn it down. Turn the sound oh, okay. down. It's yeah. not that it's not that the game makes noise. It's that you. It's me making noise. So it's yeah. not that the game makes noise. It's that everybody's games all at once making noise. Yeah, is uh, the problem. <laughs> so if I came on and played defense, it would make uh, I, uh, all kinds of noise. Yeah, when I stream, what what I stream over to uh, to uh, Twitch and uh, YouTube has no game sounds on it whatsoever. So that uh, because everyone's stream on my screen has their their game volume set to zero. So the only way you'll hear music or or game audio is if they are streaming through their the same. Uh, thing as their uh microphone their microphone all right so everybody thursday nights be there or be square or rectangle yeah trapezoidal <laughs> now who would like to see what we will be playing next week Oh, I can't wait to me, me, me. Please, the last few you've picked have been really um great quality <laughs> games. Hey, what's wrong with Eliminator? Eliminator's good. I like Eliminator. Eliminator is a good game. I haven't played it yet. I don't play that till next week. Now, some of you <laughs> may recognize this game from Coconut Bob playing it this week, and that's where I got my inspiration. So I'm going to say that it was a suggestion from Coconut Bob because he played it in front of me. <laughs> oh yeah that game that did look pretty interesting that's a Tom Mix game <laughs> yep we have lit candles and uh, actually can go dark and all kinds of cool stuff okay anybody got uh, a guess other than the Curtis who knows it and Sloopy who probably knows it no I can't remember it <laughs> Does this Coconut Bob remember it? Because <laughs> he played quite a few games on the stream. 
but I can't I do remember. They can put away their pitchforks and torches. Okay, I'll show you the title screen. King Tut. Yeah, the Coco version of the title screen is quite different than this. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I just took this off of some guy's website. Um, some El Curtis Boyle guy. Uh, yeah, for a while, my website I was kind of mixing up the dragon and the Coco versions just to have a bit of variety type thing, but I probably should just show both because they are sometimes quite different. Dragon games, in, in for particular, used to include directions a lot more than Coco ones. Actually, did. probably you do have the uh, Coco version on there because there was two uh, title screens. I just chose this one. Cause... Oh, okay. You're going to have the Steve Martin song on while you play it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. It's, so, it's written by Andrew Hubble, the same guy who did The Frog by Tom Mix, which we, when we did our Frogger extravaganza, was one of the ones people hated yeah. the most because of the controls. <laughs> and uh, Andrew Hubble learned a bit more before this game was written. This game's a lot better and easier to play. Yeah. All right. There you go. That's it. That's all I'm going to talk about today. Excellent. I will let Curtis now do the news. Hey, Nick woke up. Yeah. Now my internet just came on. Oh, sweet. So you yeah. missed the whole part where we want you to come on the Game On Challenge next week to, to play the TRS-80 Model 1-3 version of Eliminator. Yeah, I missed all that. We had somebody asking for you, wondering where you were, because they yeah. haven't seen anything of you recently. I was awake. I was here already to log in. He was and, uh, So I had no internet. I said, well, well. So, so you, you went back that. to sleep? No, so we made I did literally, yeah. Destroyed. I just noticed it came on now, so I logged in. Welcome. Well, that's better than saying you sleep you slept in. Yeah, I'll do that during the show. Oh. <laughs> I, I I need uh the vo all the voices to help me go to sleep. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Amazing how well yeah, that works. Coco. So we all have to hum or something or yeah, the, the the news when Curtis is talking is great for that. Yeah, just don't don't listen to me and drive. That's my only recommendation. Oh right. Well, that's why you never let me drive on the road trips. <laughs> you're afraid you're going to put me to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Notice you're starting to drift off the road, and it's too late by then. Oh, you should have done what uh, Tom Eric Anderson said. I thought Nick was busy making the Choplifter clone. <laughs> oh, he's, been awesome. he's porting. Okay. Um, Want to do a second ahead. ad break before we get into the news? Uh, yeah, we could do that. or uh, And then uh, before news, uh, upcoming events. Or do you want me to do upcoming events before we do a commercial? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Let me find the correct window. Okay. So uh, first of all, just another reminder, the Amigathon is currently going on. It's a 12-hour live stream by the Amigos that is raising money for the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. And uh, Mark, yeah. I don't know if you've got an update on how they're doing, but... They're up to $4,019. Cool. 
that's that's pretty good considering they've uh, got a goal of five thousand. They're under a thousand to go to get to it, and it's streaming for another. What time is it in Eastern? Three thirty, roughly. So they're at seven hours thirty two minutes right now. Okay, so they got another four and a half hours to go. Four and a half hours to go. So yeah, they could could almost just about make it. I think I think right. they will. Anyway, a lot of fun, uh, but it goes to a good cause. None of the money goes to Boat Aaron and Brent. It all goes to the Children's uh, Miracle Network Hospitals. So, and this is their seventh year doing it. And they've raised well now, including so far this year, over thirty thousand dollars. Okay, so next weekend is VCF SoCal, which actually does have a few Cocoa exhibitors. Um, and uh, Thomas Terry Holmes will be talking about FujiNet, and I think he'll be mentioning the Cocoa version that he's been working on there as well. So hopefully somebody in the Cocoa community and the Cocoa Nation can make it down to the show next week. And if, if you don't have enough you know, bandwidth or whatever to stream live, though that'd be great if you can, to pop on the show and kind of show what the show looks like. Uh, if you can at least take some pictures, maybe some videos and stuff that looks cool and some of the cocoa related things there, and uh, we can you know display them on the show the following week. That would Will be awesome. Furman be there? Pardon me? Will Mikey Furman be there? I don't know. I haven't heard anything from Michael in weeks now, so I'm not sure what's going on. Hmm. I know Wayne Campbell's going to try to make it. Last I heard. I don't know if he's in chat. I caught his name in chat today. I don't know if anybody else has. Anyway, there's a couple of Cocoa-specific booths that we covered last week, uh, so definitely worth checking out if you're a Cocoa guy. Plus, uh, the, one of the people that bought some of the stuff from Steve Bjork's estate sale is bringing some of the stuff that Steve had in the estate sale to the show as well, so maybe we can take a look and take some pictures of those as well. Okay, next up after that is the Interim Computer Festival, which will hopefully become a VCF once again. And this is on March 23rd to 24th in the Pacific Northwest area and in Seattle specifically. Um, that one, they've actually started to get the schedules and stuff here. I won't go and read all the, the people that are actually exhibiting, et cetera, too. But uh looks like they're getting a fairly good chunk of people going there, including David, a Tandy Cocoa enthusiast. I'm not sure which David that is. Um, Mark, if you do make it down there, and I, th I think last I heard you're still planning on doing that, uh, maybe you can figure out who David is, invite him on the show. So March 23rd and 24th, that one in Seattle, Washington. After that, we've got the Indie Classic. Now, this is uh, co-run by Randy Kindig, famous of the Floppy Days and Antic podcasts, and uh, he's been a guest on our show as well. This is April the 13th to 14th in Indianapolis, Indiana at crown plaza hotel and uh i that that one i think this is the second year they're doing it maybe the third um but yeah that one should be interesting because uh, randy's got a huge history interviewing people from the, the dawn of the computer age he's kind of chronologically going through all the computers as they get introduced on his floppy days podcast and you know he's you know i can't remember what episode number they're on but it's well over 100 so they've had a lot he's had a lot of interviews of stuff that uh and and people that have you know covered the early part of the computer industry in North America and across the seas too, on the uh, other side of the world. So it should be a definitely interesting show. Uh, it looked like they had a lot of fun last year. I know we had some pictures and stuff from it last year, and we'll try to get that again this year as well. After that, of course, we got the thirty second annual Last Chicago Cocoa Fest, which um, sold out the main room of tables already, and it started to sell out the stuff in the hallway. They added 14 tables, and uh, one of those is already gone as of when I checked this morning. 
And of course, this is May 4th to 5th. May the 4th be with you. Uh, in Carroll Stream, Illinois, at the Holiday Inn and Suites, same location as last year. And just to show you here, this is the main hall. Red X's at every single table. Oh, and then okay. this little chunk here was the stuff added in to tables 100 and up, and 108's already been going. I'm not sure who Forgotten Machines is, but uh, that's, you know, they've already sold one well, of those now, too. they so. don't forget their machines. <laughs> uh, and Curtis? Yep. Um, Grant, there's a room that's across the hall, and uh, Grant's looking into seeing if that's available. So we may have more table space that would be in a in a closed room that might be available. So look for a future announcement. Okay. Actually, Brian, were you in on the uh, meeting they had? Yes. Because there was, uh, I remember somebody was mentioning some uh, talk about being able to authorize officers or something to be able to purchase, you know, if we get another, you know, Steve Bjork type thing where, you know, rare hardware yeah. software goes out. Do you, do you yeah. remember any details of that? Cause Terry Steggy was trying to figure that out too. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're working through the details right now. We're trying to define that and trying to, um, Oh, what's, what's the right word I'm going to say, uh, trying to guidelines is maybe the best word. We're trying to get some guidelines together as far as an approval process and um, what happens with the acquisitions and, and things like that. So it's, it's a work in progress. Um, uh, we had some takeaways for Eric, who's kind of putting together the document. And hopefully we'll have something maybe nearly finalized by the next meeting um, that, uh, that we as a, the Glenside group can, can follow. And if we have situations like that, again, we'll have some uh, better guidance on uh, how we want to handle situations like that when they when they do arise and when the opportunity is there. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm glad something's getting done with that because uh, it, it, you know that obviously we have the vested interest to preserve stuff like that, and uh, you know Glenside actually has the clout to be able to do it. I think in some cases. I mean, definitely, uh, it's going to be one to attend. Uh, Brian's uh, three-table display is going to be really, really cool, so you definitely want to come out to this show. If you've never been to a Cocoa Fest before, this is this is one you'll want to go to. Next up after that, we have the Boat Fest Retro Computer Expo for 2024 in Hurricane, West Virginia, and that's the same people doing the Amigathon right now, doing the fundraising. And uh, that's at the social event space, a couple blocks away from where it was last year. And uh, you can order your tickets online. You can get the URL from the uh, show notes on our Discord. And uh, that's always a fun retro event. It uh, covers retro computers, retro video game systems and home consoles. Occasionally stuff like, you know, virtual pinball machines and stuff. And uh, covers all platforms. But basically, it's just uh, if you're into retro gaming, you'll, you'll love this show. And they have a pretty international clientele. There's actually multiple people flying in from Europe to attend this too. So if you want to meet some of the people from across the pond... Good, good time to come out. That exact same weekend in Dallas is VCF Southwest. So that's June 14th, 16th as well at the Davidson Gundy Alumni Center at the University of Texas, Dallas. And uh, as I've mentioned in, in previous shows here, they actually have a show within a show thing and there's going to be a Tandy Assembly meetup. It sounds like they might actually be reserving a room or something for it uh, when I was reading on the, the tier CDE Discord. Um, so that it actually will be a separate area for them to have their little, you know, gathering. So if any of you are in that area, would love to go down there. That'll be covering all the Tandy stuff, Tandy Model 1000s and 
you know, tier city model 100s and uh, tier city model you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 12, 16, and all the rest. Pocket computers, Coco's the whole shebang. So, and Chronological Gaming is also one of the guest speaker series. So if you want to catch up on some of the stuff he's been doing with going across all the platforms and, and video game arcades and home consoles, et cetera, for uh, gaming, including a lot of Coco stuff that he's been pretty impressed with, uh, he's actually giving a speech there too. So, and then the last one that I've got on for so far is Tandy Assembly for 2024 is going to be September 27th to the 29th in Springfield, Ohio at the Courtyard. And um, I don't think they have any exhibitors or schedules up quite yet. It is a little bit early, but uh, yeah, everything's pretty well to be determined. They are having the Trivia's Contest again, hosted by Ian Maverick from Australia, though. And I've, I've watched a few of those, and that's way too hard for me. I, I do good at Coco Trivia. I don't know that much about the rest of the machine, so I'll get my ass handed to me if I participated. So, And that's it for the show's upcoming. Okay, and let's take a short break. Hello, this is Mark Siegel, product manager for the Color Computer product line and designer of the Tandy Color Computer 3. And I'm proud to be a citizen of the Coco Nation. Making games for the Coco for over 35 years. Go to my Coco Games website at www.nickmarentes.com for information and pricing of my later games as well as downloads of many of my older games. Coco 2's got personality, lots of practicality, fun, it's sensational, learn, it's educational. Coco 2's expandable, so easily commandable. It's programmable, so term exam grammable. Just you and Coco 2 do what you want to do. 
Coco 2, the color computer with personality from Radio Shack. Sale price for Christmas giving from $149.95. Radio Shack's Coco 2, do what you want to do, question for you before you get started okay. <clears throat> so when the computer came about it was always kind of used for calculations and stuff right and then you're talking like early mainframes you're talking home yeah, computers what i mean just com the computer itself you know when it yeah. was tubes and stuff it was a calculator then, basically so when when did games become part of computers do you think there's a bit of controversy on what the very first game was. Um, the guy that created uh, created a tennis game using an oscilloscope to pick up a computer, that was in, oh, what year was that, 58, 59, I think is the first generally yeah. accepted one at this point. Simulation done on an oscilloscope back in the 50s as well. And then yeah. in the 60s is when... Space War. Space War and you know games specifically to be games for people to play start showing up. So the middle '60s. So would it be when the soon as the soon as the computers ended up in the universities with the kids? Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty close. Though the yeah. the original tennis one was actually done as a demo for a computer fair, like at a university, and the guy that designed it was not a student. From what I remember, unless you can correct me if I'm wrong, Alan, but I thought it was an older fellow that did that one. I watched uh, people play on a Selectric, you know, IBM Selectric. Uh, with the bar paper, you know, the hangman uh, on a computer that was connected to another computer somewhere else in high school. You know, yep. Yeah. No, there's quite a few text games like the original Star Trek's from the 70s, early 70s were done that way. There's, you know, the, the computer adventure that, you know, eventually became Zork on the micros, but version called Colossal Cave Adventure on the mainframes and minis back in the early 70s as well. Thanks. Okay. So as far as Coco and MC10 games go, first up we got Jim Gary. So he's ported another Laser 200 slash Dick Smith. I spelled it disc in the notes. Whoops. Mm -hmm. uh, VZ200 uh, game for the MC10. This one's called Boulder Pit by AP Soft in 1985. So this actually I think was a commercial or at least a freeware thing. Uh, but basically it's, it's kind of a combination of... Uh, well, it's kind of a bit like Boulder Dash, but a little bit different too. And now this one here, he's actually updated this one at least three times this week. He kept uh, he fixed some bugs. He was trying to optimize it, run a bit better. He's running it under the MC Basic compiler uh, that Greg Dion did, so it's running a bit faster than a standard you know Basic program would do. And it's got twelve levels, and you can. He's actually published uh, before he fixed the last set of bugs. He actually published a playthrough showing most, most levels here. So like, like Boulder Dash, but without the scrolling, you're basically trying to collect all the diamonds and all these boulders are falling. That's the O's. And uh, you got a timer going on and you got bombs that you can set off and 
you can trap yourself, etc., and you basically collect it. But it's it's fairly well done. It's a, actually a pretty decent game, and with twelve different layouts for the levels and stuff here, that actually gets pretty challenging. If uh, we ever got him on the show, I would like to ask him what's the most complicated game that the MC10 has. He has been on the show, but it's been quite a while. I think. Yeah. I, I'd really like to see his Jim come out to a fest. Yeah. Yeah. He can autograph the bottom of mine. <laughs> right. He can autograph MC tunes. <laughs> yeah. He, he can. He can put an end to all that. Uh, you know, holding up a window thing or holding open a door too. Yeah. Well, having an MC ten graffiti. I mean, once the uh, you know the people have started making equivalents of the twenty k packs, composite video up output mods, the v Coco VGA now works in an MC ten. Um, Darren Atkinson, the designer of the Coco C, of course, did their equivalent too, which is an SD card reader that also has thirty two k RAM and extended basic added. You can actually do a fair bit in the MC ten. I probably wouldn't use the stock keyboard for programming on it, but uh, you can definitely play some pretty decent games on it. And you can definitely write some decent software, and their basic is faster than ours. And, and Brendan also did a um, Infocom game player on there, so you can actually play the oh, okay. C3 format Infocom games on the MC10 as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Did I miss that, or did I just forget? Maybe you just forgot. So that could be. Yeah, it's uh, it's out there. Cool. And Brendan Donnie, he has his Pi key, which makes a joystick available. Right. Yeah. Which Jim has used and demonstrated on a few of his games. He actually wrote a whole pack of them to take advantage of that. Anyway, I just showed a, a different level here, just so you can kind of see there's uh, different mazes and stuff that you got to work your way through. So it's got some pretty yeah. cool stuff in it. Pretty good. You get landslides. That's cool. Yep. That was a part I think you really needed to compile it. I think the checking to get that to work on in straight basic was a bit too slow. And the other one he did is called Matilda's Monopoly for Two, which is actually a two-player-only version of Monopoly, originally written by David Barker in 1975. Now, the original version was a text version, kind of like we were talking about earlier with Hunt the Wumpus. Um, and D Jim decided to spice it up a little bit, so he actually adds in the option for the player to select seeing a part of the board. So the basic you know, main gameplay is just text version type stuff here, so I'll just fast-forward a bit here. So basically, you pick your two, and then it gives you a list of what you want to do your properties and on what you landed on and, you know, money collected, et cetera, like that. But if you actually go a little bit later here, I'll show you. He did a pretty good representation and low res of the uh, board. So it kind of shows you the por portion of the board you're actually in right now, not the whole thing at once, but you can actually go through and see other parts of it as you go. That's nice. And it's recognizable. You can see, like, the train and... Uh, I'm impressed. <laughs> That's something. It's well laid out, I have to say. So if you have an MC10 and you got a second human being around to play against, uh, that would be a fun one to try. Next up after that, Retro Males on YouTube did an episode of his 80s program of the week uh, featuring Planet Invasion for the Color Computer with OUR. Um, now, this uh, YouTube channel we've talked about before, I think he's the guy that's doing all the archiving. He did a special on archiving like Coco cassette tapes and how to set the right volumes levels and make sure it's mono, et cetera, like that. And uh, he actually posted a bunch because he'd inherited a, a system with a bunch of tapes at the time uh, from somebody, I think it was in Denmark or something. I can't remember off the top of my head, but somewhere in, in Europe. And uh, this is kind of a continuation of that because he's 
kind of showing, um, you know, creating a tape image audio file of Planet Invasion. Now, he did something here. We've done it once in our show back when it was still called Kogo Talk. And also back, he goes for a bit of the history of it in his video here. Uh, back in the early 80s, some of the radio programs, and I don't remember any of the states in Canada doing this. Correct me if I'm wrong. You guys might have heard some. But apparently in the UK and in Europe, they actually would broadcast over the air on the radio the tape sounds of a computer game or something like that that people could just download off the radio, record it on their little cassette recorder, and then load it into their computer. So it's like broadcasting it over the air. That and was- I know Steve had tried this on Coco Talk and you know semi-successfully. Go ahead. Yeah, they did that on te- uh, over television channels on BBC as well. Okay, did did it ever happen in North America? Because I honestly don't remember any. I believe it was done a couple of times as tests in various places for video text and teletext type stuff, but it okay. was not widely done like it was in Britain. Okay, uh, Rick. Also, we're hearing your keyboard typing. There, so you may want to mute while you're typing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll play a little bit of history here just for those of you who haven't seen it. So he goes kind of the preamble. So it's one or two letters now. This one comes in from Cambridge of all places. Someone who's written into the competition says, My computer tells me that the answer to life, the universe, and everything is 81. Or if you don't use all capital letters, 54. What have you got, General? <laughs> well, I always thought it was 42, but uh, an answer for the ZX81 competition floppy disk from Gareth Jones of Abergavenny. And he says that uh, all our programs load first time, which is good to hear. Well, see what you make of this one. This is this week's competition. Do you imagine what the parents at the time were trying to figure what the heck's coming across the radio? Mainly fairly simple programs because, of course, real the real. <laughs> so yeah, he took a planet invasion here, and he kind of shows it, you know, getting dumped to the screen, etc., and then. Uh, Basically, he broadcasts. I won't play it because it's kind of irritating to hear the cassette screech screeching in your ears here. <clears throat> but you can actually literally download Planet Invasion uh, from his YouTube video. And the game he chose was Planet Invasion. Of course, this is the uh, properly spelled color um, from the UK version. This is uh, also was available in the Dragon, if I remember correctly. The Defender, was it? Yeah, that's um, Steve Gieskin, I believe, was the author. Spectral Associates did the original. I got this with two other Coco programs the other day. Those are Cutbird in the Mines and Devil Assault. You can try those two over on the RetroMails archive. This is an arcade type game where you control a fighter aircraft that flies horizontally. Yeah, so there's a screenshot of uh, Planet Invasion running. I used to play this one a fair bit. One of the better, not the best of the uh, Defender clones. Anyway, uh, interesting experiment. I'm I'm curious to see. Like it's like it's been mentioned here, it seems to have been a lot more popular in the UK and mainland Europe to do this kind of thing of broadcasting the actual audio file, um, you know, either over the air or nowadays you know through YouTube or whatever to actually you know save it to a cassette. That didn't happen as much here, I don't believe. But uh, I'd be interesting to see how many people actually have uh, give this a shot. So hopefully he does a follow up if he mentions he gets some you know emails from people saying yeah this worked or I took 15 tries to get the volume level right or whatever. I do believe that there was a, a guy in Canada here recently that was doing something like that on his YouTube stream as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. We did it on like, Coco uh, Talk one time. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I remember because Steve and I had been talking about it for a while and then decided to give it a shot. Did you notice this guy's buttons on his TV are yellowed? Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah, he must have that plastic with the uh, anti-fire retardant stuff the, in it. The, the bromide in it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Brominated plastic keeps you from dying. <laughs> we owe. <laughs> Maybe. At least bursting into flames, yes. <laughs> Uh, next up, I do a follow-up here. So Rick Adams, we mentioned last week, was actually fitting a lot more of the original plan dragon for the Shanghai cartridge when you win, the animated flames coming out of the mouth type thing. And uh, a little bit later after the show last week, he actually got it. So the full graphic is coming out now. Um, this is based on the new disc version that you can get off of his GitHub, which I'll get into just a second here. So the first thing here... This is now what the screen looks like if running the new disc version of Shanghai. Before, it just encompassed this little tiny bit of the head with the flames here. That's all he could fit in on the cartridge. Because uh, I think he was told Shanghai had to fit on a 16K ROM. I don't think he was allowed to use a 32, if I remember correctly. He definitely wasn't allowed to use the MMU hardware like Predator or Robocop did. So that, that's cool in and of itself. But then while going through it, and uh, let me magnify this a bit here. He found on the discs, so these are the discs that we ripped for him or copied for him back uh, at Coco Fest back when it was still at the old place in 2018, I think it was, uh, which is the original source code and stuff that uh, he still had hanging around in discs. And he found some of the assets here. And one of the assets that never got used in the original cartridge is the original title screen. And this is based, I believe, on the Amiga version. For those of you, the Amigas that have played the official Shanghai by Activision, let me know if that's, I'm remembering that right, but I believe this is it. Um, so basically he says designed by Brody Lockhart is the person who did the original versions for it and then programmed by Rick Adams for the Coco version. But this was supposed to be the original title screen on the Shanghai game, not just the, you know, the text with a few sample tiles that we got on the actual card. So a little bit of history there too. He but anyway, get, if you, sorry. Oh, I was just about to say, you should get, uh, Dave, um, uh, to make a ROM pack that's, uh, um, 32K and put a, a full version on ROM. Yeah, I think combining the full-size Dragon plus this title screen, I don't know if that would even fit even on 32K. So you might have to do an MMU style, either that or get some really good data compression. Or you can just download the disk image. <laughs> well, you can. I thought he might have wanted to do a uh, ROM pack, that's all. Yeah. Well, the full Dragon version, he should be able to do. That should fit on 32K, I'm thinking. But the uh, the 32, or the the a full dragon image for when you win the game plus the title screen, that might be a bit too much to fit. Mm. Anyway, if you go on to his GitHub, which is, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, uh, Y-G-G-D-R-A-S-I-L radio. Yggdrasil <laughs> radio. Yeah, I'm used to that from the Swamp Thing comics. That was part of the uh, Parliament of Trees thing, but uh, I, yeah, I know Norse it's mythology. way before that. Yeah. yeah, Norse mythology, Tree of Life. At any rate, if you go to his site, then the, the actual full link straight to Shanghai is on the show notes, which you can get on the Coco Discord, of course. Um, we'll take you right here. He's actually got the disk image pre-made up. You can just download and install an emulator install it on a real Coco. He's got a bit of a readme here as well. Um, he says, the development branch is used to build an updated version of the game with an improved victory screen to include more of the intended Dragon graphic, now the full graphic, and uh, can use more memory than the cartridge version was allowed to use. And then the master branches for the historical look at the original game, which actually has a few, you know, stepping stones as he was programming. Because when we went and restarted his discs, he had various, you know, cutoffs during development. So you can actually see how the game progressed over several months before it actually went out to be burned on the cartridge. So is Shanghai another game that's taken 40 years to develop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except it's a good game. Um, hey. 
Next up, this is one I'm really excited about. We've been following it. If you're on the Coco Discord in the, uh, I think it's the general Coco Games channel. Um, Rich Ann, I'm trying to remember what his last name is, what the N stands for. Does anybody here remember? Natali. Natali? Okay. Yeah, because he did a Space War clone, didn't he? A few years back? For the Coco 1 and 2? What? Sorry, what was that? Yes. Yes, he did. Okay, yeah, so I'm remembering that, right? So he's now working on a Coco 1 and 2 version of Spy Hunter using artifact graphics, and we've uh, shown a little bit of screenshots and stuff from it. Now he's got a bit of a video he put up, which actually is showing a couple of the weapons. It's showing the machine guns. It's showing the oil slick. It shows a bit of the train going by. Um, it actually has the animation where the truck, when you die, you basically you crash. A truck drives out and then lowers your new car out of the back of it, you know, a la Knight Rider or something like that. Uh, so he's actually got the screen scrolling. He's got some water and stuff going by. It's actually looking really, really good. Uh, no sound in here yet, but I'll play the whole thing because it's just it's cool. And he's made a lot of progress in the last little bit. And those of you who played the arcade game will definitely recognize like that sequence. You can see variable speeds, so you can slow down. And if it speeds up enough, it'll actually start scrolling faster, not just move the car up. And some really well-designed sprites, you know, using the, uh, the just simple four-color artifacting. And you can see a selection of the weapons on the bottom there. And the truck poops the car out, and away you go. Yeah, just like the arcade. <laughs> That's it. There's the oil slick. I mean, still got a fair ways to go, but it's it's looking really, really good. Like I, I wish that yeah. this would come back out in the eighties. <laughs> I'm guessing, I don't, has he specified um, system requirements? I'm guessing this can be a 64K game. I have a steering wheel that I'm considering modifying for the Coco that I love to play this game. This is my favorite game. I could have put myself through college the number of quarters I shoved in <laughs> this game back in the day. So. <laughs> I, I had a similar story at the beginning of university because this is one of the games I had at the university arcade. And then we found out that uh, somebody had broken the tab that holds the, the whole steering wheel mechanism in the front part of the panel shut. And you could actually, we had to make sure that we crowded around so that people that own the arcade couldn't see it. But you could just pry it open and then just start dinging the quarter thing. And we just rack <laughs> up a ton. And we'd throw in a quarter once in a while so they made a little bit of money off of it. But yeah, we used to flip the disc switches and change the settings and stuff too. It was, it was fun. But this, of course, has the Peter Gunn theme in the original arcade game, which is just thumping over your head with the speakers. It was awesome. So really yeah. looking forward to this. So keep going, Richard. You're doing an awesome job. You're going. Next up. Going. Come on. Come on. You gotta go. Jesus fucking Christ. What the hell? Is everybody else hearing that or is it just me? Uh, yeah, we are. Uh, I don't know where. Uh, Someone sounds like someone was driving. Right? That was a cutoff maneuver, if ever there was. Yeah. <laughs> Might have been Brian then, because I think he's on yeah, the he's, mute, he's muted now, so. Okay. Hope he's okay. Right? 
Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, next up, we've got Tricob 1974. Um, I'm trying to remember. Is that that's a Rick or Richard too, isn't it? Serious real name. He's done about quite a few really cool. I think it's Richard Kelly. Um, he's done some really cool basic games. So he did a recording here, kind of a playthrough, long play of Ladderman 2, aka Super Ladderman, which he released a couple of years ago, I believe. And uh, unfortunately, the version of MAME that he's using for his recording here is quite old. So the screen ratio is completely wrong. It's twice as wide as it should be. So it's going to look weird. Uh, but I'll play just a little bit. But if you want to see like a bunch of the different levels and stuff here, and he's kind of issued a challenge to see how far people can get into the game as well. Uh, but this is one of the ones that's written in basic, and it's actually quite good. You've got a little hourglasses it loads. Well, it's got little animations, and you got to go pick up the the treasure things. And if I remember correctly, when he releases, he actually released a map editor, so you can create your own levels for it too. And I think the game comes with like fifty built in or something. It's pretty extensive. Yeah, it's got a pile. I know we did a fair number of you know pretty fancy techniques to get you know a basic game running at pretty good speed, even with these little background animations like flames and torches. Is this in basic? Yeah. That's and good. I don't think there's even ML subroutines. I think it's pure basic. We'll propel our beanie hat there. You said pure basic. That's not RS DOS basic. No, RS basic, but no machine language ever teams. Oh, okay. When I remember, I'm hoping I'm remembering that right. There's a little cross dissolve type style there. I'm presuming he knows about the uh, fast get puts if you're on a byte boundary. That probably is helping quite a bit. Yeah, because I, I notice it's uh, doing the get puts fairly quickly. And with the animation still running in the background, too. Like, he's got a whole wall of flames in the bottom here animated during. I'm guessing, I haven't looked at the code, but I'm guessing he's probably page flipping between two screens. So he's got the animation, kind of, in this case, built in. Maybe, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That would give him an opportunity to, you know, draw the sprites over top of each other and, you know, backgrounds and stuff without you actually seeing it. You've done a good job. Yeah, it's it's it visually looks quite good. I mean, it looks better at the proper aspect ratio, but uh, I actually did play this one a fair bit when he first released it. And it's one of the be better basic games I've seen, especially mm -hmm. you know on a Coco One and Two. I mean, even this crossbait thing really hides the draw time. It's well yeah. done. There's little hidden things, and you know the levels get pretty complicated later on. Let's fast forward a little bit here to show you. A few. I hear you have the danger of falling off a ladder. But if you like this type of game, sort of like a cash man or um I would say that, that ladder level reminds me so much of Cash Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a few levels of Cashman exactly like this. You know, collecting treasures and you know on individual screens for each level type thing, and you kind of have to figure out which way to navigate it so you don't die and so it's a it's a good game. Uh, it's it's been a couple of years I think he first released it, but uh, he's kind of issued a challenge of it. Um, so I'm kind of curious if people will take him up on it too. 
Uh, Chronological Gaming is taking a bit of a break, um, but he did do a couple of broadcasts at the beginning of the week, and one of them included Space War for the Dragon 32. Now, this is, of course, the Spectral Associates Space War, originally for the Coco, published by Spectral Associates back in 1981, which is a year before the Dragon even came out. So this is one of the ones that was cross-licensed from Spectral to Microdeal. <clears throat> and for those of you not seen it, it's it looks kind of like Asteroids, but it kind of plays a little bit differently. I mean, there's some commonality with Asteroids, I'll just fast forward. Uh, the Dragon version is built in Instructions, which the original did not. For some reason, <clears throat> and I don't know if this is the default or if this is something you can pick, uh, but it, he chose the white background screen. I would have left it the plain old black background like the original Spectral one. Green. I have a very small, colorful ship. And you see, I have different space mines to blow up. Yeah, the control of those, amazing. Because one, one of the cool things about this is a dual stick shooter. So basically the first stick controls the direction and acceleration of your ship itself. And the second one controls the aiming of your gun. So you can fly left and fire to the right, for example. Uh, you don't have to always fire in the direction you're going in. So if you have two players on the simultaneously, one controlling the gun, one controlling the uh, ship movement, it's actually much a much better play experience in my, my view. Uh, but you have this little Death Star you can try to shoot through, through the shield, the hole in the shield, kind of like Star Castles type thing. It's got a you know flaming sun that will suck things in and kill it, and uh, you know asteroids flying around. There's space mines, all kinds of stuff. So if you're into that type of game and you want something a little bit different than asteroids, this is a good one to try. But like I said, you will need two joysticks to play it properly. This would be better in the P Mike Four. It's a black. Yeah, and the the Coco version came default that. Now I think because the Dragon. Because if PAL didn't have artifact colors, I, a lot of games gave the option you could pick the green four-color palette, the white four-color palette, or yeah. plain black and white. And in some games, I think it did look better if you did pick one of these, and, and this is not one of them. This is one that should have no, just been... No. Well, Space War, and it's white. <laughs> yeah. Who has white space? Yeah. Actually, I'm trying to remember on the intro screen if it actually gave there, you the option. Nebula, it, come on. It's Christmas in space. Here we go. Yeah. It's time to play space war. In the middle of a tight galaxy. Oh. Christmas in space. Now there's a game I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does look like that. And we're fast forwarding the cassette. We don't have time for loading. I'm not giving you the true 1982 experience. Do we need instructions? Yes. Yes, we do. No, we don't. These mics <laughs> explode too close to it. it is nice the dragon because it came with 32k minimum a lot of the old games that ran 16k in the coco this being one of them he, they actually you know updated the game itself to have the instructions built in the game not having to put on a little cassette thing so you well, it's easier to pirate basically i'm trying to see if they had a uh selection for a color set here because a lot of the brinker deal games did uh, no it doesn't look like it looks like it goes straight in the game <laughs> like it did on the on the coco so we're th anyway <clears throat> that was an interesting one that's one of the uh near to launch titles on the dragon <clears throat> and spectral did a lot of games for them like that and so did computerware and a few of the others like tom mix i'll ask the game once here so this is a gaming channel by lru channel on youtube we've covered this a few times before what he does is he plays a lot of games on a variety of platforms he happened to include a few dragon ones this last little while and basically what he tries to do is he does a recording on video of him playing a game with no cheats and plays it legitimately and then records a score. And I think he's one of the people that actually submits them to the 
um, uh, what website is that that does the high scores for old eight bits? I can't remember which one off the top of my head. Well, whichever one it is, I think he mentions it in the comments here. But basically, he submits the scores here, and you have to kind of legitimately show that you played the game without cheating, type thing. Twin galaxies. So the ones he, sorry, twin galaxies. Right. Yeah, they do. That's the ones where the whole Billy Mitchell controversy is, right? Yeah. The Donkey Kong and etc. So this last week here, he played Caterpillar Attack, which is a Tomics title. Ice Castles, which was Crystal Castles in. Uh, North America by Thunder Vision, I believe. And Cuthbert and the Golden Chalice, which is actually a, a Dragon exclusive at the time. And of course, you can see here he plays a bunch of other games for a bunch of other systems as well. So, Anyway, that's it for the Game On news, so I will let you fire up the intro. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins. No matter what it takes. Or where news breaks. From around the world. To your nation. The Coco Nation News. With L. Curtis Boyle. Okay, so Coco Town has released two videos this week, and this is part of his assembly language uh, Coco One and Two series. And now he's getting into assembly language sound, and uh, this is the first two parts. There's more still coming, and he's been kind of figuring out between the one bit and the six bit, and then how does it work, and how do you set up sine waves, and how do you set up notes, etc. Uh, once again, they're very well presented with a bit of humor. Um, he shows you mistakes when things don't work right. Um, We've actually got a multiple really good assembly language tutorials actually going on right now on YouTube uh, for the Cocoa World. We've got the Cocoa 3 stuff from George Jansen, which I think I remember you might have a new one this week too. I'll be covering shortly. Cocoa Town's doing one. Of course, Henry's doing his series where he's actually going to get a fourth on ROM booting up on the on the Cocoa itself. So he's doing all the low-level routines there too. So if you guys have wanted to learn assembly language on any of the Cocos, one, two, or three, and want to do graphics or want to do keyboard or want to do sound and all the basic stuff there, You've got a multitude of stuff to choose from, and uh, maybe we should get you guys all down to Coca Fest and have a big assembly language tutorial panel or something like that, <laughs> or maybe a cage match or something like that. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> assembly so. cage match. Either <laughs> could work. <laughs> and we've had all of you as guests on the show, so you guys kind of you know are aware of each other at the very least. So. Anyway, just to give you a bit of a, a background, what he's doing in the sound here, I would just play the intro here, and then I'll let you guys watch the videos on your own, because I was, I'd be stretching this like we were hinting at earlier to make it six hours plus. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the first in a short series of videos about assembly language sound for the Coco. Many of you are probably familiar with the basic commands for playing sound, such as play and sound. They're fairly versatile. You can use them to generate tones in a wide range of pitches, and you can very quickly play a succession of short sounds to generate sound effects for games. But they do have some limitations. If you're playing music, you can only play one note at a time, no chords. 
Also, when you're using those commands, nothing else happens. It's just playing sound and all the rest of the action stops. And there's only one instrument you can play, and it's just tone. Using assembly language, we can try to work past those limitations and do something cooler. It is my ultimate goal to be able to play four note chords while other stuff is happening. Can we do it? I don't know. I think we can. We're going to try. In this video, we're going to introduce how sound is represented digitally. Anyway, the first episode really goes into like sound, like how amplitude works and, and volume and you know frequencies done by the varying uh, narrowness of the actual sine waves, et cetera, going into a bit of stair-stepping and square waves versus sine waves, et cetera, et cetera. So good, really good background on how sound works. And the second episode kind of goes a bit more into, you know, generating on the Cocoa itself. Um, also explaining, you know, how to select your sound sources through the PIAs here, where you can select the one bit or you can set, select the six bit DAC. This is something Nick is actually very uh, familiar with because he actually did a, a two, two voice and I think a third voice for sound effects on pipes, wasn't it, for the uh, background sound while the game's um, running? Yes, I did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And of course, there's a few other games like Grabber, uh, Crazy Painter. And a few others that also do background sound. Now, this is a lot easier to do in a Cocoa 3 because you actually have a timer interrupt, so you can actually much more you know closely control the quality of the sound. And plus, you have 1.78 megahertz, which makes it a lot you know, faster to handle it. On the Cocoa 1 and 2, um, unless you're going to do completely software-based timing loops, uh, the only real way to get you know decent quality background sound running continuously is to use the H-Sync which only gives you 57 CPU cycles per scan line to do anything with. And you can kind of overflow it. So you just go past the first scan line <clears throat> and then you, you finish the sound routine, then you run off and do your graphics stuff. So basically you get like a 51% time for sound, 49% time for graphics, reading controllers, AI, and everything else, um, which means you're a bit limited on the types of games. I wouldn't do a, you know, a full screen four-way shooter doing that type of technique there because it's going to be dog slow, but you can definitely do some cool stuff as Nick demonstrated when he did his uh, that pipes game. game. Yeah, yeah, it is a great game. Um, actually, I think you, honestly, you use that for some sound effect techniques in uh, the newest Neutroid too, right? Reloaded? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, which is a decent version of Neutroid. Oh, what's wrong with uh, Curtis? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I'm not talking about your older, crappier ones. Um, Amazing what burning your hair can do, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it singed my brain cells. <laughs> anyway, he goes in a really good background of it, and then he goes into the actual, you know, how to do it on the cocoa itself. And um, definitely worthwhile. That's a series that is still ongoing, and uh, I expect a few more episodes. I don't know if he's going to be able to achieve his four-voice in the background, because I know he wants to do this for his Moon Patrol clone, and that actually has a fair bit of scrolling with stack blasting and stuff. And, of course, if you're doing pure stack blasting, you have to shut interrupts off in order to uh, not have it corrupt the stack, you know, calling these, uh, you know, IRQ routines, et cetera, to service it. It would have been much better if the original Cocoa 1 and 2 had actually hooked up H-Sync to FIRQ instead of IRQ, because then you'd have a lot less overhead, and you could have done a lot more with it. But that's unfortunately not the way they hooked it up. They hooked it up to FRQ to the cartridge port, I think, to detect a card or something stupid, wasn't it, Nick? Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. FERC goes to cart, and there's a serial uh, there's a serial line that goes to FERC, if I recall correctly. Yeah, the serial one makes a bit more sense. 
because if you're trying to do a high baud rate, that might be a bit better. But I don't think they hooked up to the right pin. Though. But then they hook it up to like the carrier detector, something stupid. I can't remember now. Oh, there was a yeah, bug. They yeah. yeah, they uh, hooked it up to carrier detect. Yeah, because you want to you know, register that 15,000 times a second. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, and also, you, you can race the beam. Uh, you can race the beam without having to use the IRC, um, the IRQ. This is something that both Coco Town and I got into on our channels. Um, and I actually used... Yeah, we just monitor the PIA manually, right? You just no, read the you, use the same, you use the sync instruction. Yeah, but then you've it's lost fine. CPU time because now your CPU is stuck until the next pseudo IRQ happens. And in part of racing the beam is getting done what you need to get done during that scan line. Yeah, so but if you sync it yeah. near halfway through the scan line, you're not going to be doing any processing until the sync is done, right? Correct. You're not. And that's a, so that just requires thinking differently about how you're processing. So, well, it also limits like how, how much of a speed intensive game you can actually try to do. Actually, true. Yeah. That, yeah. that was my point, basically, is if you want to, like I said, if you want to do a four way full screen scroller, that you're probably not going to be doing it that way. No, you won't be racing the beam on a scroller. But um, if you're doing everything scan line wise, look at how uh, cartridges for the Atari 2600 yeah. are programmed. That's how they work. Is they use what they call display kernels, and mm -hmm. during the scan lines, that's all you're doing is display work, and then in the vertical blank, then that's when you do a lot of your other game logic. Then you can think. You can do the yeah. display and the sound scan line by scan line, and you don't even need the. <laughs> okay, now I can think. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. How it works. Yeah, um, we Actually, should mention. Yeah. That this is all. I was going to say we should mention this is all tied to the external clock, so we can run our system clock at an even multiple of the display speed, and do all of these chasing the beam kind of things, where an internal sixty-eight oh nine can't do that. Mm. So that's why you have a serial terminal for the little development board, because without the external clock, you can't match the display speed. You can't do all of these sharing RAM with the VDG chasing the beam, none of that stuff. You have to be exactly yeah. on the right time. Now, there is a trick you can employ um, during V-blank. You can actually kick in the full double speed, RAM and ROM, up at 1.78, so you're basically running at Cocoa 3 speeds. And uh, yep. you won't corrupt the display at the same time. You can actually you know, get an extra bit of AI and sampling your joysticks and whatever else you need to do during the V-blank. So that does definitely does help. Um, and of course, if you put this on a ROM cartridge, uh, you can actually run double speed ROM without any problems, um, which some games like um, Farfall, for example, do, uh, which can give you a fair bit of extra time to do stuff as well. I do wish they had hooked up the FIRQ. Like, the Cocoa 3 has the option of doing the, the programmable time interrupt or the H-Sync hooked on FIRQ instead. And that is just a smarter one, because you only have to save the registers you really need to save for a sound routine. You don't have to save them all every time, like a yeah. regular RQ. Or, or yeah, like you mentioned, you can do the you know clear and wait for interrupt or the sync, sync probably more often to uh time it to the to the beam but um then you're you, you are basically throwing away some cpu time to make sure that it's synced and then on to the next assembly language one and this is uh george jansen of course who has uh done a series actually on our show before and this now he's going his coco 3 route where he's actually showing you how to use graphics and stuff from the mmu on the coco 3 specifically and he actually published three different parts here about doing sprites on the background and then having them going over top of uh background graphics who kind of explains how that does and he does it through several different techniques 
Um, some are very slow, uh, which is first episodes I've basically covered, which is basically not much faster than doing it in basic. Um, so let me find one here. So this is the background he's going to be overlaying over top. Let's find a little animation he did. And we're going to load in our program, which we haven't looked at yet, a program called Twisty02. So enough for what we're, we're doing there. Go back to our other screen. Oh, I guess that's more of the explanation of it. So I'm going to skip that. Screen. So whatever garbage is in there, as soon as we execute this, the very first time you see it flash, you're going to see whatever garbage may be left in there. I, I don't think... So originally he was playing this with me when episode of M being so long he split into three parts, I should mention. We'll have this there. So second time running, it'll be okay. So I'm going to hit execute and we'll see if garbage does pop up. Well, you didn't, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it did. Okay. And anyway, there's our, there's our rocket moving across and look at the line down there blinking. Remember one buffer had the line, the other one didn't. Yeah. So that's basically he's page flipping is what he's explaining there or double buffering, whatever you want to call it. And he put a, a little line on the second screen so you can tell which screen you're currently viewing. But basically, you draw on one while you're displaying the other. So the player only sees the finished rendered frame uh, rather than actually watching the drawing and background masking and stuff going live. But yeah, as you notice, that was a little bit slow. So he goes through and speeds it up quite a bit on this new part three. And it's still not as optimized could be that we're not using compiled sprites or anything else that you could be doing to do quite a bit speed increase. And... There was a place here he actually showed it. All right, here's talking about merging your palettes because he's got several different images with different colors and then you have these empty spots that weren't used. You have to kind of shift them around because they're using different colors to get the combined palette. Okay, where he had the... Actual animation here. Hmm. I, I can't find it, but you can definitely watch the episode, uh, or three episodes there. But basically, these three Galactic Galaga ships here all scrolled across at the same time and a lot faster than that first demo I showed you. So this is when he optimized it somewhat. So it's moving a lot, lot faster. Um, but yeah, he's, he's kind of showing you these different techniques. You know, they all work. Uh, some are quite a bit slower than others. So it kind of shows you like, you know, the uh, advantages of actually thinking through how your code's going to run to optimize it before you get started. Um, but on the other hand, if you, it's, it's sometimes easier to understand doing it the easy but slower way, just so you can get the concepts first and then you actually get into the, okay, now that you know how it works here, here's a logical way to make it run a lot better type thing, but might be a bit too complicated to get across when you're just explaining the concepts. Thanks, George. Also, I should mention that as usual, George has his own channel on our Discord for this series particularly, and he actually uploads the source codes and disk images of the source codes uh, to that channel. So if you want to save yourself typing in of all this stuff, you know, grab it there and then try it for yourself. Uh, Bob, are you still on the call here? He's snoozing. I'm here. Okay. Well, I'm going to mute it then and let you kind of explain your Turbo X LED board version one. 
basically just uh, going over the actual installation now that I have a kind of pretty much fleshed out the whole process. Showing the boards, the panel that I got from JLC, assemble fully, assembling it from scratch. Which, I see yours actually made it to your house. Yeah. <laughs> right? Unlike Rick's. <laughs> well, they didn't the first time they were reported as delivered and it wasn't here, had not been delivered. And I called the post office and they actually showed up in a few days. Kind of crazy. But so they might have got it in back from the original Dolby address and then re-delivered it to you? I maybe. I don't or they know lied and then it's never left. Yeah. Like like mm -hmm. certain chocolate bars did last year. Right. Right. <laughs> so I show how I put a couple of notches in there so that it fits perfectly in the little between those two posts. Yeah, and then you have a second year called mounting problems. And I think this is the different power supplies between different cocos. Oh, yeah, in a color computer three, the the cage around the transformer is actually a little too close to the lid, and you can only use the top hole. Or there's there's two of them then. Oh, gotcha. So those two will clear the transformer as is. But then there's also a way you can you can just take the bottom half of that cage off and put it back in the case. And if you bend those things perfectly flat, you can make it work. I think I show that here, uh, not necessarily bending it perfectly flat, but I show uh, taking the bottom half of the cage off. What I like is you finally found a use for those little holes in the case, though, because it perfectly fits those LEDs. Right, right. Yeah, they're nice, just three millimeters now, now, square. If you were to glue your LEDs, Tracy glue your LEDs sideways under the holes, would that clear? I mean, it doesn't fill the hole nicely like the original orientation, but it would get it would snug it right up to the top of the case, and maybe you could keep the shielding around the transformer. Just yeah, um, out loud, you know. The the other thing that I don't actually have this problem because if you look at this computer, it's converted to run off DC. Right, you got no stinking transformer. Oh, that's what's going on there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's why, yeah, I didn't even think about this originally when I'm putting these LEDs in. And then I, I did one with a transformer in it. And I'm like, oh, oopsies. <laughs> <laughs> now, out of curiosity, there's those corresponding holes in the case that you're putting the LEDs into. There's ones on the other side by the cartridge port, too, isn't there? Um, no. Oh, there isn't? I okay. mean, there's slots, not square holes. Ah. Uh, so that way you'd have to glue them in to hold them there or something. It would just, I just right. think maybe you could reroute the wiring to go to the other side if there's more room that doesn't have a transformer in the way. You got, basically you got the two rows of them on the sides of the transformer that are perfect squares. And then all the rest of the way is just slotted. Yeah. Okay. Hey, it's, a, got... it's a cool project and you've actually you've got i think you ordered 10 of the boards or something here so that other people are interested they oh, can contact you i ordered uh five boards because that's the minimum and each board is 10 panel or 10 boards on it oh so you <laughs> got a big old pocket full of those things <laughs> so everybody wants when you've got lots 
And I've actually, I've sent out a couple of bare panels to a few different people and I'm making room because there's a version two board that's just about ready. And was it, is it something you can reveal what's changed on it or? Well, the main thing is uh, I totally screwed up almost every single component value in the silk screen. <laughs> I think I remember you mentioning that in the previous video. There's like one capacitor on there that's right. <laughs> So I corrected all that and I uh, just kind of reworked it for a little, uh, I wanted to use a different uh, connector, actually these magnetic connectors that I got. Okay. So I had to accommodate that on the board and, uh, you know, just kind of clean it up a little. And also I added an optional, uh, They sometimes the LEDs flash when you turn it on, like the turbo light will flash for split second. So there's a capacitor and resistor you can put in there that'll prevent that if you want to. Hmm. This is where I'm showing the uh, silver tape. I use aluminum tape to hold the wire to the lid there. And I also use it to uh, run the, uh, the clock line, the red wire there. I hold it to the edge of the board just for cable management. Okay. Anyway, go check that out at the Coco Estrangiato. That's uh, Bob's uh, YouTube channel. And uh, he's got a whole bunch of cool Coco projects on there. So, and more to come. He occasionally does live streams as well of some of his projects as he's assembling things. Um, do you have any of those coming up that you're planning or? Uh, well, I've, I'm actually working on another video that I did the modification to this joystick and um, working on some Gimme X related stuff. Will you be uh, on Co uh, the virtual Coco Fest? I think I'm going to try to do that. Yeah. And I might just, uh, I'm, I'm actually trying to get back into some of my basic coding and, and color fog and get that working with the SDC better. You know, now that I'm getting my hmm. hardware kind of sorted out. Oh, cool. So, been a lot of fun this past year, and I'm really enjoying uh, being back in the scene. Yeah, so it's good to have you back. I remember when we first found your channel when you started it up again, there was uh, your tower case, you know, Coco yeah. in a PC tower case type thing that you had mm -hmm. dug out. Many people have a co color computer that can be the bench. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, next up, a couple of updates from TRC Retro Programming. You just showed up in our chat, too, so uh, welcome to the chat. And uh, he's working on Coca Ultimate as kind of Ultimate clone. So his uh, first video here is kind of, uh, he's updated his uh, drawing to use a sword, so he actually animates the fighter in the lead, and the uh, wizard kind of follows around. So I'll play just a little clip of that. Only one who strikes enemies directly. Uh, so he can strike the enemies this way. And so he's using his sword. Um, and the wizard is going to be reserved for spell casting. And so the game will uh, work. Um, and the wizard kind of follows in the in the uh, behind the, the fighter is kind of the lead character. But this actually is one thing that I think is kind of a, a, a neat way of doing things. 
because your standard Ultima style games, you have to take turns with every single player and like, move this guy up one and this guy shoots a magic missile and this guy swings his sword. And it's it's a bit tedious. And that's, I think, a lot of the reasons that Ultima style games aren't as popular nowadays as they were back in the day, because we just seem to have a lot less you know, free time these days type thing. And so everybody wants the, the quick hit, you know, do things easy. And it's kind of solving that here because you basically move your two characters around simultaneously under joystick control or keyboard control. Um, and they each have their own separate function. If the fighter actively fights in the lead and then the, the magic user will cast a spell from behind type thing, which means you don't have to sit here and move them individually and you know, line them up to start being able to aim at somebody or whatever. So it make, should make the playing a lot quicker for the player to handle, I think. So that, that's an interesting way of handling it, which I don't think I've seen too often. So, And then a second one, uh, let's find my notes here. Uh, basically, just fixing a couple of bugs about uh, walking in different directions, because on the previous video, we had it working, you know, basically in a couple of directions, but not all four of them yet. And that's been fixed now, too. So, uh, you know, progress is being made. Next up, and this is kind of a follow-up unexpectedly to what Ron was showing about uh, running a Cocoa 3 with uh, one of two available programs, uh, terminal programs that actually handle ANSI graphics, the full amount, like full colors, all the special ANSI characters for doing, you know, gradiated shading and stuff, basically in the IBM font. And uh, basically we had one by Sockmaster done back in the day called Twilight Terminal, which came out in 1997, I think. And he actually wrote it as a terminal program to view the ANSI BBS he wrote. Uh, for the cocoa that uh, you had a way to test it with, basically. And uh, Michael Pitsley, and you may remember his name from, he did a whole bunch of the educational software titles, uh, YouTube videos, long ones, like 20 to 30 minutes, including some of the stuff like, you know, Clyde Tombaugh's Discovery of Pluto and stuff. Like he did a lot of the ones that were the audio mixed with computer programming. So you'd actually get audio voices and music and stuff coming in the background while showing stuff on the graphic screen. And... Um, so he did a kind of a follow-up here. He's going through and trying the Cocoa 3 with terminal programs to run log into some of the current BBSs, ANSI-based BBSs that you can get onto using, um, you know, the ASP, et cetera, you know, to get onto them. Because, of course, not too many people actually have phone lines anymore. And not too many people are running BBSs off of phone lines, unless you go to a VCF. Um, so he did uh, kind of a mini review of between Twilight Terminal, which is done by Roger Taylor, um, and then of, uh, tw or, sorry, Twilight Terminal was done by John Kowalski, a.k.a. Sockmaster. And then Netmate, which is by Roger Taylor. <clears throat> now, Netmate's a much more recent one. Um, and it's a bit more optimized for speeds. Um, he does things a bit differently. Sockmaster was trying to go for as much accuracy with colors and character sets and stuff and actually makes an 80 by 30 screen, if I remember correctly. And it used triple screen flipping with, you know, pixels offset a single pixel location to get the shading just right type thing. Now, it does produce a little bit of flicker. Uh, which is a lot more noticeable, I've noticed, on LED-based uh, TVs nowadays than it was on the series because you had phosphor fading, so it would kind of smooth it out a lot. Uh, whereas Roger actually basically did things to fit within uh, a much narrower font, so he doesn't have to do as much screen flipping to get it to work, so it, it can be a lot faster. And there's you know pluses and minuses to both. Um, just for those of you that don't have the uh, video, if you're listening to this in audio, I'll just read Michael's little comments before I show the actual videos. And he says, I've created a couple of videos connecting the Cocoa 3 to Captain Quarters 2 BBS using Netmate and Twilight Terminal using the Tandy's R30, R232 pack and TCP Seer as a comparison between the two. Netmate Pros, very colorful, speeds up to 115-200, can be used with real modem, R232 pack, wireless eye modem, and the Mister. 
full ANSI graphics, dialing directories are supported that actually support long URLs. Some people have hit problems where if you're trying to you know punch in like a long URL to tell them that to a BBS, the old terminal programs were set up for long distance phone numbers of 10 digits and they just can't fit. Um, easily configurable without the need to memorize AT commands. NetMate is continuously being updated, fixing bugs and acting features, which actually uh, Ron had just mentioned, Roger just did a recent update. He's actually done updates in calendar two on 2024. NetMate's, NetMate's cons, he said the font is difficult to read at times because I think it's only a four pixel wide per character. The X and N almost look identical. Um, press Alt-N to continue. If you press Alt-X and get disconnected. Twilight term, on the other hand, he said, very clear, easy to use font, which I, I agree with. Uh, full ANSI graphics speeds up to 19.2. Cons, the graphics are a bit fuzzy uh, because of the way the shading and the triple screen flippings work. Like I said, if you actually have a CRT-based model, like a CM8 or a Magnavox 8515, it does look better on those than it will on a monitored you know, switcheroo on a HDMI TV or something. Uh, does not have the ability to store long URLs for the phone book feature. It's it was set up for 10-digit long-distance numbers. And it was also written 20 years ago. It's no longer being updated. And I think... I don't remember if John said he'd lost the source code for Twilight Terminal, because that'd be a cool one to actually get, you know, somebody to, to you know, modernize in a bit to handle them, new Telenet-based PBSs. So, hey, since both videos are fairly short, I thought I'd play them for those of you who have not seen ANSI graphics on a Coco, which is, you know, displaying more colors and stuff than a Coco normally can display. And also just kind of get you a feel of what, what an ANSI BBS is like now in the 21st century without phone lines, et cetera. Uh, they're fairly short. They're a couple minutes each. So I'll play the Twilight Terminal one. So this is using Sock Masters. And you will see the flickering here exaggerated from what you would see in a CRT, just so you're aware. The ask is to compare Sock Masters uh, Twilight term with Roger Taylor's NetMate. We've already done one video with Roger Taylor's NetMate connecting to uh, Captain's Quarters. This one will uh, do the same test with Captain's Quarters using Twilight term. All right, using Twilight Term, we have a couple of differences. Twilight Term can only operate at a speed of 19.2, so we had to change the TCP serve uh, on the PC to connect at that speed. Also, the phone book in, in Twilight Term um, isn't uh, long enough to accept the long names of the Telnet sites with their, with their port addresses, so we'll have to type it in. And on this Twilight Term, I don't know how to Turn the echo on, so we'll have to type uh, blindly. Oh, good. <laughs> Anyway, we are back to Captain's Corners. Captain's Quarters. And the kind of flickering color you're seeing on certain characters, that is... The page flipping with the offset pixels, but it is a lot better on us here, too. Right. All right. Well, I seem to like the uh, the font better, but the colors I don't think are as nice as that they are in NetMate. That's my personal opinion. We'll go ahead and Go to the games, and we'll play the blackjack again.
Those drawing the cards are using the IBM's font, which has, you know, the built-in, you know, card suits and the little line outlines and stuff are just part of the ANSI character set. seem very fuzzy to me oh, i'm looking at them they're definitely fuzzy and that's because of the pixel offset screen flipping thing that right John well, did. will anyone ever make an lcd monitor that has a proper crt emulation mode where it fuzzes All right. yeah because i mean the, re the reason is the leds turn on and off so fast uh, that you're right. you're catching it, you know, doing the redraw or flipping the screens where the pixels are slightly offset. Whereas on the CRT, oh. it fades from phosphor, so it it kind of fills it in for you. And this is true. Of... Yeah, I would be exceptionally leery of any type of uh, any type of LCD panel or LED panel having CRT emulation. All I gotta say is soap opera mode. <laughs> well, I mean, the 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 problem is every. CRT-based video game looks bad now. Someone's got mm. to think of some way to display these on an LCD. There's got to be a way to do it. <laughs> it's not mathematically impossible. Yeah, you'd figure like emulating vector beam games and stuff like that. Like they do have to take into account, you know, phosphor decay when you're drawing the vector beam going across. And they've tried to do that when you're, you know, if you time it right, you'll get a slightly, you know, darker version of a line. So they should be able to do something to simulate it a little bit closer, but maybe. Like the fact that switching between screens here with offset pixels, that makes it complicated because you know you have to kind of anti-alias them together at the same time you're trying to emulate phosphor it's, decay. I think so. it's gonna be I think it's also gonna be more than just phosphor decay time because I've watched the slow-mo guys video on phosphor, and the decay is such that the decay's done in at in not more than a scan line and a half. Like it's it's black after about a scan line uh, pretty much a scan line and a half. Maybe right. a little bit longer with a very, with a very, very like, very light thing, about seven or eight scan lines. But what we've got in the CRT, uh, aside from phosphor fade, which you got in the CRT, also, uh, especially when you're dealing with a 60 hertz display, is you've got the CRT is expecting things to be interlaced, so it has almost an automatic comb filter applied, and the CRT also has a a uh, dot mask. Um, a shadow mask, either a shadow mask or a shadow grill, and that might be doing something for it as well. Right, but I mean, keep in mind on an Atari Twenty Six Hundred, there's only one dot illuminated, <laughs> and th yeah. that's that's all the CPU knows about is the one dot, and they managed to do pretty good. Um, and that's sure even, it, and it's even questionable at, the, at that because I don't even know that the CPU knows about a dot. It's like, what is this dot of which you speak? I'm doing this. <laughs> well, no, it, it wrote a dot. It may not know about it. Yeah. But it wrote it and it moved on. But anyway, that's beside the point. I think they could do, LCDs could do better than they are right I now. think you're, I, I believe you're correct. Um, I just think that the problem is a bit more complex than we give it credit for. Right, right. Or they would have done so, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's uh, Twilight Terminal from 1997 by Sock Master, which I remember using back in the day. I was just in awe when he did this. Well, like most of the stuff he did back in the 90s, it just blew our minds. I want Twilight Term for Coco I.O. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's uh, Netmate. Um, Roger Taylor still actively developed. So this one, as I mentioned before, has actually had updates this year in 2024 already. 
and I know it's Ron's favorite. Uh, the text doesn't look quite as good, though, as he's mentioned. The, the color looks a bit better. It's not doing all these weird offset pixel tricks while flipping between screens. Because basically, Twilight Terminal is running three 640 by 225 screens um, with palettes and, and offsetting the pixels between the three to try to fill them in so that it looks smooth. And that's where the you know the phosphor fade or whatever else is causing those effects to to smooth out works. Whereas I believe Roger's doing a three twenty screen here, which is why his characters are only four pixels wide, but it makes him allows him to use pure sixteen colors without having to do all these weird tricks. So it won't flicker and do all these weird you know shading things that you can see on the previous video uh, at the expense of the text not being quite as clear or as defined. Right, today we're going to connect to a BBS using Telnet, using the Radio Shack's RS-232 pack, which is connected to uh, a, a machine uh, PC with a uh, USB to serial port adapter. And we got a tester there of the 232 port. Um, and all right, we'll begin. We'll be using uh, Roger Taylor's uh, Netmate for this. We'll be connecting to uh, Captain's Quarter to BBS. But you notice there's no flickering or anything because he's actually using a 16 color mode versus three screens with four colors each. Captain's log. Last people who called. All right, got your messages. Well, while we're showing this, how many people here on the panel actually, besides Ron, I guess, uh, actively I mean, use I mean, uh, the Coco to get onto NCBBS's via Tillman? NCBS is geared for Amiga and. I've never you? tried it myself. Retro Max. Uh, Alan, you said you do? Yeah. Forums here. Do you have a preference between the two as far as displays? We can see, you know. Um, not really. I use both. I mean, it, it kind of also depends on the board that you're going to and what mode and graphics that it has. Okay. All right. You can go to. Uh, I mean, they both work fine. Somewhere. There's games. Okay, so given the fact that the displays, you know, they're they're a fairly bit different in implementation, but both are fairly, you know, quite readable and, and support the full ANSI graphic standard. Um, Netmate might be a bit better just for having the auto dialer and stuff handling URLs. Well, probably more like. Well, I mean, you can type in your own AT commands. On yeah, that's true. That's true. ATDT and you know whatever dot whatever dot. Net or whatever. Jim Brain's TCP serial. And, uh, I've got some. Lantronics boards as well, so you know it, it all. Quick question. Yeah. All right. This is kind of a trolley type of a question. If you type in like ATDT for a URL or something like that, of course that implies touch tone, which can make sense. But what about ATDP? Would we wind up with Morse code? <laughs> that, that's for the ham radio people that's how they do their dialing yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can see where if you had a text heavy site you would prefer tricharm 
And if yep. you have a graphics heavy site, this is better. Yeah. Pretty quick. Well, I was going to ask I, for the I people that I've actually used it, Ron and, and, and Alan in particular here. Like I know Twilight Terminal is actually using a custom font on a 225 high screen. So it gives you an 80 by 30, which is a pretty decent size. Does NetMate give you that much vertical room or is it more like an 80 by 25 or 80 by 28? Do you know? It's 80 by 25. 80 by 25. Okay. So he's kind of doing a more strict IBM PC ANSI. Looks like a PC. That's the idea. Right. Just the font's a little squished vertically because of the resolution. But, uh, you know, the X and the M thing that was mentioned in one of them, I don't know, maybe I'm just used to from back in the day looking at so much stuff on crummy old TVs that were handed down anyway, I don't really notice too much of a problem. I mean, you can see it up in the upper left corner, NetMate, where it looks like it could be an X, but your brain mostly fills it in, I think. Right. Well, I'm also noticing right. like you can see like the vertical, like in the R for Roger, like the left-hand side is thicker than the right. I think that's just because he's using an L, a modern TV and it's trying to scale it. It's, this is a like this would look better, screen, I think, so. on a CRT once again. And I, I was wondering, Alan, have you tried it with a CRT to see if it, it makes smooths out the N and the X type years. thing? I mean, I've got my CRT here on the floor. I could set it back up at some point, but um or, or Ron, have you tried it on both uh, a modern I TV and a Twilight term anymore because it doesn't have all the um, codes for ASCII, you know, as most, but it's not most. Oh, and and Netmate has it all, and um, so I just use Netmate. I, I have an older version that he gave me when I was testing it back mm -hmm. years ago, <laughs> and um, and that works for me. And then when he came out with this. 0.54p um it works the same so I, I don't know really any difference i don't use uh the the program i use to go on online with is called s term 2.0 and that runs on the pc and it handles the um the you know the um the part of it yeah yeah and and i dial through that program or by uh typing in the address and the port number and it oh, so you're not it. actually typing in ATDT, whatever. I, I don't have, com. I don't have oh, okay. to, but I can mm -hmm. now. There's also the option with that program I use to um, type it in on the screen and it would go. You know, I have to put telnet uh, colon the address and then colon 23 and it would go. Okay. And then my and last question does, for you. Oh, sorry, good. Uh, it also does other things. Uh, net. This um, S term does ping and uh, who is and all these other things that you can play with, you know, right through the cocoa. And you can see pings on websites and stuff. And it's interesting. I have that program uh, um, on my um, file section. If you, if you wanted to, if you didn't have the, I guess you have to, what I use is the RS-232 pack on a multi-pack and the, um, 24 pin to USB into the um, PC. So and it, it goes to COM4 and it works. <laughs> okay. Uh, last question for both of you, if you have experience with it. I know he mentions that Twilight Terminal Max is out of 19.2 because that's what the RS-232 pack basically maxed at. Uh, though I do know you can modify it to run at 115.2, or maybe you can use a Mega Mini MP. I don't know if he's supporting, uh, Roger's supporting that in his. Is there much of a difference, like with the Cocoa having to display all these graphics and stuff here, 
Is there much of a difference in speed between 19.2 and 115? I don't I don't think the 115 is actually 115. It just shows it, but I think it uses less. Yeah, I think it comes in at 57.6 usually. Yeah. Um, and and it, 30, like, does the display keep up to the point where it actually runs a lot faster on NetMate versus Twilight Terminal then? No. No, it's no. not <laughs> for a lot of stuff. Uh, now, in ANSI heavy things, yes, it will fill in the screen faster with NetMate. But if you're doing the more text things, like I do a lot of MUD stuff. All right. So there's not a lot of ANSI graphics going on. It's straight text. And the straight text parts are, those run at basically the same speeds. But when you get a lot of ANSI graphics coming in, each character you see on the screen can be a string of like 10 actual transmitted bytes. Yeah, you have your escape code, set foreground color, your actual color values and all that kind of stuff. So The higher speeds in NetMate soak that up better. And you get the the images coming in on the, the ANSI side uh, a bit quicker. You, you don't need as much patience. Well, okay. I used to use ultimate term, <laughs> and that had uh, very nothing. You know, it, it would. Well, it supported garbage. the it supported the VT fifty two VT one hundred protocols yeah. and ANSI as far as you know color selections and stuff like that. But mm, it didn't. Yeah. It used the hardware text in the gimme, so it doesn't have any of the ANSI extended character set. Right. Yeah. So you'd get like weird, you know, so this is European like really peas or nice. something. <laughs> yeah, no, I used that for a long time. I mean, I was a fellow Canuck here in Calgary that, uh, and he yeah, kept was, updating that back in the day too, because I had yeah, 2.8, 3.0, right. 4.0. That's exactly what I was going to just say. And before that, what, Greggy term? Yep, Greg Miller. And, and then Chu. before that, Mikey term by Mike Ward. Yep. and Yep, and then <laughs> talk about a mixed up screen with the blocks of, of uh, you know, on green. Black on green with uh, lowercase was black, you know. Yeah. Now, the Cocos had a pretty strong terminal program thing extending all the way back to like 81, 82. I think the first ones I remember seeing. And then and I also used um, Deskmate, their terminal. And that I one had, I never did use. I yeah, always I used, used all, By the time Deskmate 3 came out, I was already running Greggy term with 80 columns. So, right. A VIP term. <laughs> yep. That's another yeah. one. Well, that gave you actual up, up, up or color commie, or yeah, there's a ton yeah. of them back in the day. Have you ever been online with the um, color compact on the MC? Color compact was the second terminal program I ever used on the Coco. The first was <laughs> one on in Rainbow that actually didn't even keep up with the screen because it was written partly in BASIC. Yeah. So it draw, draw a little asterisk every time it received 32 characters, and you did have to wait for the asterisk to stop appearing and go, "Oh, it must be done." Then you hit a key to render the screen. <laughs> that's oh, how geez. i first logged in it was terrible yeah color compact it was in real time it just seemed like a miracle to me at the time but did anybody uh go online with the mc10 oh micro color compact you're talking about yeah i i didn't have one back then that was my first computer so certainly i used every portion of it that i could <laughs> <laughs> and that would include hooking a modem to it and trying it I mean, honestly, the MC10 should be able to handle 1200 baud better than the Coco 1 and 2 did because it's actually got a timer we can use to time the bits a bit better. Right. A programmable timer built in 6803. So, somewhere on my um, Ron's garage, there's a little session I did with the MC10, you know, with the blocky the letters. Typing. And, uh, you know, as much as the, as much as the Chicklet keyboard on a Coco 1, 
was usable, but man, I once I got to the full size keys, I never looked back. So yeah. the MC I, I just find it interesting because I lived on BBSs from about eighty three, actually late eighty two. Uh, I started running my own in February of eighty three, and I stopped it around eighty nine or something. At the end, it was even multi multi line and multi user. But I mean, with FidoNet and all the uh, Coco and OS nine echoes and stuff, we could be blasting stuff back and forth. It was kind of like a mini internet before the internet yeah. got popular. Yeah, the thing about FidoNet that was though that you would uh, write to somebody and they have to wait for it to come back. Yeah, within a yeah. day. Yeah. They had to wander around the net. Yeah. That's how they work. It's like you know making a phone call and not being able to talk to them until they call you back. <laughs> it's just weird. Well, I mean, yeah. Usenet, Stignet, all that stuff was based on passing things around. The, well, around even CompuServe and Delphi, I mean, you want, logged into a form, you left a message, and then you came back the next day to see what responses you got because somebody might be in Europe and respond at 3 in the morning. Or Yeah, but sometimes your friends would be right there. And you could also call them and say, I'm going on, you're going to go on? You know, <laughs> you can get real-time right. answers. Well, See, when, when you had a multi-line BBS like I did, you could literally talk to each other live on the BBS, yeah. and the sysop yeah. could join in too. So, I mean, you could, mm -hmm. but... Sure. And then you blocked CD. all of your... Then you blocked all of your customers out while you guys all talk. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mostly did my stuff in the evening and night, you know, overnight some... Yeah, it was back in the days when if you went after midnight, it was like 60% off the regular yeah. daytime price for long distance yeah. and stuff, yeah. Young kids yeah. these days don't understand any of that no, stuff. No, they don't. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really cool. He actually did a comparison video because I haven't played around with NetMate because I haven't done any BBSing since, you know, Twilight Term was new. So it was really interesting for me to see the differences between the two. When um, Michael kind of first came on, I told him, you know, he had his, his screen was stretched and I told him, you know, if we want to compare it to other machines, like you had asked me on um, Discord, you said, you know, you'd like yeah. to see. Yeah. So I, I'm the one who suggested to him to make the two videos up and, uh, but, to, and he made one, but it was stretched. And I said, you yeah, like that game that. we saw earlier, cause the old versions of MAME didn't right. do the ratio and, properly. And um, so people should know. And when you set up your Coco and uh, it's on a, on a modern screen, you need to go into the screen of the uh, monitor and, you know, the TV and make it 640 by 480. And then it goes from there. Yeah. Otherwise. Oh, th thanks for forwarding that on to him. I didn't realize you'd done that. So thank you. That, yep. that is exactly what I wanted to see. Okay, onwards we go. So Alan Huffman has uh, been a little bit busy this week as well. So he did part two, first of all, of his blog for writing a port of Rick Adams' Lights Out, uh, which he's planning on porting to plain old color basic. So it's currently a, a Coco 3 only basic game. And as we mentioned last week, it's kind of like the old uh, Merlin game handheld. If you remember the big thing, it looked like a red brick cell phone in the late 70s, early 80s. And basically you punch in the you know, one of the squares and it shuts all the surrounding squares off or on inverting whatever they are now. And your goal is to try to fill it in. Um, so he did his part two blog here going in where he starts to actually get some coding done here and figures out how he's going to set up his arrays and, you know, going into consideration that uh, extended basic, sorry, regular color basic and, and extended basic for that matter. All arrays started zero. So I didn't know this back when I was young. So I was wasting memory, you know, dimming, a sub 10 when I wanted 10 numbers and I only needed to do nine. As long as I did zero to nine, it would have saved me some memory. So he's got the actual coding starting here and he's actually starting to work on the actual logic of the game by the end of the article, but there's more to come. 
Uh, next up, uh, he mentioned that uh, he'd finally, after all these years, figured out the color scheme that BASIC uses, because BASIC in the manuals even mentions this. Uh, the numbers 0 through 8 are black through orange, basically. But it always mentions that you can use you know, 1 through 8 on your high-risk screens, but they also are only 4 or 2 colors. And that always just didn't make sense to him. And he actually kind of figured out why it works now. And he's got a nice little chart I'll show you here. So this is basically your screen set is what's controlling, like what screen uh, color set you're using. So you got those green-based ones, both on a four-color or on a two-color, which would be black and green here, or white and black. And then your color set one, which actually goes to the second set. And basically the numbers are set up in such a way that you can actually pick the same numbers. So if you're switching between modes and stuff here, you could you don't have to change like a eight to a four or something like that. You could, it'll actually uh, just kind of automatically work with the color you would expect if you're understanding the color sets correctly. So it is a big long thing going through the basic manual and how it didn't quite explain things all that clearly. And, you know, the nice little graphic diagrams like this to explain how it works. It's actually a fairly lengthy article, but it uh, explains it quite nicely. And uh, for those of you doing basic programming and working, you know, switching between screen modes or color sets type thing, it might save you a bit of time on some programming here where you don't have to like do all these translations. You can just think as if it was a low res screen with your standard CLS zero through nine color set. Um, now this one's kind of a follow-up to Coco Town because Coco Town did this aspect ratio um, showdown as shown in the screenshot here. Uh, but basically he found out that MAME has been kind of widening um, the screen, even when you're actively playing it, uh, about 11% or 12% or something like that. Whereas on a real CRT TV, it's actually a bit taller, not quite as perfectly square. And uh, what uh, Alan is requesting here, and this is requesting of the general audience, we'll put it out to the Coco Nation here, is he wants to see some video on real CRT monitors to compare Um because obviously that's what uh, Coco Town himself did on the one he has, but he also wants to compare, you know, is there any difference between a Coco 1, 2, or a 3? Is there any difference between composite and RGB if you're running a CM8 or an 8 Magnavox 8515 or a Sony, I can't remember the model number, Nick Multisync 2 or whatever. He's wondering, is the ratios different between the different technologies the monitors on the Coco 3 in addition to the fact that, you know, it's a bit different between MAME and emulation-wise versus the actual real Coco. So if you guys go check out uh, the show notes, on Discord, you can get the link to this specific story on Sabitha Software's site, which is Alan's site. Find this blog entry. And if you can send him some links to some videos and, or screenshots of these uh, different ones and mention exactly what you're taking these shots from. You know, is it a Coco 1, 2, or 3? Is it a RGB monitor versus a composite versus a TV? Is it a CRT or a modern one with, you know, conversion boxes or cables or whatever else? Just so we can kind of get a full flavor as to what exactly is the differences between them all. Because as he mentioned, he hasn't hooked his real Coco up in years and years. And he thought MAME was perfectly okay the way it was. And as Coco Town discovered when he was doing it on a real Coco 2 versus MAME, no, it's not. So if you can help out, Alan, on, on kind of getting a broad uh, range of these different types of uh, display technologies versus the different Cocos. Uh, and and how they actually react to, you know, how they actually display, then uh, that would kind of help them get an idea of how different they are, and if there's some, further differences. Some good monitors would will uh, do the four six forty by four eighty and let you adjust the vertical and horizontal, which makes it really nice. Because then, um, if you uh, run something that has circles, they should be circles. 
right. and, not, uh, and not ovals or. Football. Well, that's what Kieran discovered because of the, on the PAL, because of the way they have to redo their video because they have more vertical lines, their circles came out perfect. And ours never did. You always had to adjust them slightly to get a perfect circle. Yeah. And to have a cheap monitor that doesn't allow you to adjust it at all, it makes you a little, you, you don't really want to use that monitor if it's it's not quite the right ratio, you know? Yeah. Right. Anyway, I was kind of interesting to see how far MAME was off. I was quite surprised by that too, especially the Cocoa 1 and 2, which never had RGB, so you didn't have to worry about that kind of thing. Like you can see here, the side by side, it's a fair bit of a difference. Um, also, Brian Walsh, the unrelated in the chat here is, uh, hey guys, is anybody going to VCF SoCal? Um, the only person I know that is planning on it so far is Wayne Campbell, and I don't know if he's actually in the chat at the moment. I know he was earlier. Uh, so, Brian, you may want to you know reach out to him in the chat there. Okay, next up after that, uh, Tim Linder did a little special on PIA mirroring. Um, now, you hardware guys can probably explain this better than me, but it, if I understand correctly, if something's not fully address decoded, it will ghost over into other blocks of addresses with a certain you know bits uh, set or not reset. And basically, the Cocoa 1 and 2 used to mirror the PIAs, I think, four times or something ridiculous. Is that right? Rick or any of you hardware guys? Kind of sounds right. Remember the details, but yes. But the example would be like if you wrote to FF20, you could also write to FF24 and it would do the write to the actual FF20 and FF28 and FF2C and FF30 and FF34, et cetera. Well, I mean, if if you have a 16-byte space and you only need one of them, then, yeah, you'll just let it mirror and you won't exceed your space, but you're wasting Well, something. what controls that, the VDG or something else? Well, no, how much how much you decode your thing? So the wiring of the address decoding uh, yeah. logic that you put into the motherboard. Exactly. You can you can do the bare minimum, or you can do more. And Tandy tended to go with the bare minimum, but from the Cocoa Three, yeah, because it's cheaper. Go, yeah, most, and actually, be honest, some third party uh, hardware manufacturers, Cocoa did the same thing. They let stuff ghost. Yeah, many, or mirror. Sorry, that was pretty common back then. Um, like the VIAs, the PIAs on the Atari 8-bit, um, the 6522 is uh, mirrored 16 times because it has a whole 256. Yeah, We don't care, so we aren't even going to figure it out. We're just going to let them all. Because and, was... and as Tim mentions here, like the, uh, the PIAs for the Cocoa 1 and 2 ghosted for 32 bytes and they're, they're only four bytes each. They go 16 times, four bytes are ghosted basically 16 times from FF20 to FF3F. The Cocoa 3 on the other hand, actually restricted that to 16 bytes. So it only ghosted uh, eight times. So when you say mirror, or, it's not flipping it, right? It, no, like a mirror does, it's just repeating it. Yeah. Well, you see the same thing everywhere you look. Yeah. Like a mirror. everywhere you read or write, <laughs> it'll actually go to the real address. Like, the problem is if, like, in the multi-pack in particular, it was terrible having these poorly address-decoded things because it would take a whole whop of memory. And then if you try to put another card in with that used, even if it was properly decoded, but it would be in one of the ghost addresses, when you start writing to this card, it might ghost over and affect the other card. Right. So here you are in mess. the funhouse. Yeah. <laughs> you had no idea what the hell was going to happen. The computer might lock up because all of a sudden it's trying to respond to three things at once because you had three packs that are all ghosting over the same addresses, and even though they might be technically at their own individual one. I remember Bill and I, we always made sure we modified hardware we received to put into our multi-pack for the work stuff 
specifically to fully address Dakota so that it didn't wander outside of its range and start affecting everything else because it caused all kinds of issues. But doesn't it was mainly it for cost. Memory? What's that? Doesn't it take memory? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the 6809 is a memory mapped IO space. It's not, you know, driven by ins and outs on port numbers, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, if you if you had a hardware card that only needed four bytes to actually operate, but you didn't bother fully address decoding, and it actually takes 16, kind of hogs it to itself, that restricts how much stuff and what type of things you can plug into the Cocoa. So, yeah, you're right. And yeah, that's and why that's, Bill and I hated the things that were not fully address decoded. Right. <laughs> and that's why the multipack needed an upgrade, because one of the ghosts of the multipack collided with... The Cocoa 3. The exactly. How come it never showed up in the 30 years I had multi-packs with a, a Cocoa 3? And I it, it would depend it. on what hardware cards you had in there and whether they were fully address decoded partly. You're like, um, like some some manufacturers did fully address decode them. Like they did it properly. Like they eliminated by Frank Hogg because it actually did use 16 bytes. It didn't want to go you know, 16 right. bytes all over the place for a second 16. It actually did everything properly. I think the distos did I mean, too, if I remember. This this is where mirror is a good description. If you're looking at the right thing, it worked. If you looked off to the side, it might explode because of all the mirrors. So you it could work, but it also could go way yeah. wrong. It, it really depended on the mix of hardware you had installed in your multi-pack. I mean, Tandy considered it a big enough problem to put effort into fixing it. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, I was surprised in 2017 or whenever it was that I found out that you had up upgraded because it never came across my desk or my computer. Oh, really? that it how, was how many anything... hard drive interfaces, uh, floppy interfaces, sound cards, et cetera, did you run in your multi-pack run? So, right. I, I use this sound, speech and sound pack, and I use the uh, – but I, I generally use that on the two – but it didn't matter. It they worked. I, I you know I used a um, well, like I said, it depends. Like if, if something controller. was ghost or something was mirroring, in, in say a sixteen byte block, and you had a second piece of hardware that's within that sixteen bytes of mirroring, then you would start having problems. But other ones might be completely separate. You might have something at FF four zero, something at FF five zero that never touch each other, even though they're mirroring and wasting space. They're actually separate and enough; it would not cause a problem. It specific, really depends on what hardware you had. Specifically, yeah. Tandy software was aligned to their scheme. So you wouldn't have a problem running any kind of Tandy software. Okay. They so, have, they have gotten out of each other's mirror views. And I thought it was a um, scam or something because I, I no. just couldn't, it didn't, it didn't affect me at all ever. No, it, I it, it did affect us at work. Like when we put in a com four yeah. board, which is a four port R32 on one card takes a full 16 bytes of address space. There mm -hmm. was, uh, was either a hard drive controller, one of the old ones we had, or it might have been a floppy controller, or maybe a, because we had a disto originally before we switched to the Illuminator, that wasn't fully address decoded, and they did conflict. Like, you you would try to run R32 port 1 or 2, and it would work fine. 3 and 4 was a crapshoot. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it would lock up, sometimes it would give me bad data. And we couldn't figure out for the longest time what the heck was going on, because like you, we, at home, we never saw any difference with our multi-packs being upgraded or not then we talked to kevin darling and a few others and they said no that's exactly what's happening you've got uh, these two cards arguing over the same spot because this one card is duplicating itself four times over in adjacent memory addresses while this other card that's properly done is trying to use four of those for itself and now they're just arguing with each other so, so it depended uh, on what what hardware you had in there um some some hardware was completely separate from each other never touch each other it would work in a little multi-pack just fine now does the multi-pack um Unless it's switched 
back to where it was, it, will it work with Coco 2 or 1? Yes. Yeah. The Coco 2 yep. will always work with an upgrade. They just, they just got rid of some of the ghosts. Yeah. yeah. But the Coco 2 is looking for the original, not the ghosts, so it always works. Okay. So what about 1? Well, yeah, same, same thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Coco 1 and 2, as far as that's concerned, are identical pretty well. Anyway, what he also did here, just to kind of prove what the, the different uh, space, he actually made a little video, and I'm not going to bother playing it here, um, unless you guys want to see it or something. How long is it? That's only two minutes. What the hell? I'll let Tim explain it. Okay, we're going to run through the test program. One of the few times okay, AG wasn't first thing we're going to do is run the sound tests through the deck. Um, it starts out at FF20. Uh, and go to a higher, let's see, FF24, 28, 2C, 30. Nothing. And no sound for the rest of the threes. Whereas on a Coco 1 or 2, it would have actually made sounds on all of those extra ones. Sound source, which, okay. is, which is connected to uh, port B. Here it is at FF20. 24, 28, 2C, and 30. Nothing. Nothing for the threes. And the VDG test just uh, twiddles the. Um, Alpha graphics bit in PIA 2B7. So you can see that it, it picks it up there. But of course, in this Coco 3, that's being done by the Gimme. So if we go to FF24 mirror, oops, nothing. Again, back to FF20. We see the Gimme doing its thing, but it doesn't even bother to. Uh, do any of the other mirror locations. So 24, 28, 2C, 30, 34, 38, and 3C. So you can see uh, PIA 2 is has a much smaller mirror on the Coco 3 than the Coco 1 and 2. So anyway, there's uh, rather interesting. I did not realize. Oops, let me pause that. I did not realize that the VDG, which had ghosted on the original uh, Coco One and Two, I figured they would have just done the same thing. I'd never really tried it, but it actually, it looks like on the Gimme they fixed it, so the VDG only works at FF24. It doesn't ghost anywhere, um, whereas you know the sound, etc., does ghost. So that was kind of interesting. I did not realize that before. I don't know how many of you you guys knew about it, but I was definitely in the dark in that one. So there is no VDG in the Coco Three. It's the Gimme. Yeah, the gimme's emulating a VDG, but they decided to take out all the ghosting emulation. Okay, so it's actually better then. Yes, it's fully decoded, quote unquote. Yes. Never knew that. I didn't either, actually. All right, next up, and we're looking for a video for this upcoming. So TJ Bay Chris, uh, who has done a lot of really cool stuff with Tier City, you know, model twos, twelve, sixteens. Uh, he's done some stuff with the network controllers with the Cocos. He's done some stuff on his Coco uh, 3 and Coco 2s, including booting Nitrous 9 off a cassette. 
Um, but he's actually got the, uh, for those of you familiar with the network controllers, the network two, which has been demonstrated both on his channel and on vintage geek that we've covered before was a place where you could actually have a cocoa with a disc drive as a host. And this was meant for classrooms. And it would have 15 different cassette cables going to your various clients plugged in the cassette ports. And you could actually download software to all the clients uh, from the host cocoa or grab a program back one at a time based on a switch. And it was a way to share, uh, you know, programs between students in a classroom or assign programming assignments and then you can grab them back as a student comes up and says, okay, my terminal number five years is ready to go. You can grab the assignment. And the network three came out a little bit later and this switched everything over from cassette based to serial port based. And this is before the RS232 pack existed at Rayshack. So it was meant for the Bitbanger as well. Now this was advertised and mentioned in multiple places by Tandy, but it never came out. It, um, it came out for, you know, the, uh, Tier City black and white line, but it, there never was a Coca one, even though some cables were made for it and advertised. And basically, what Christopher's been doing here is he's been kind of going through and figuring out how the protocols and stuff work for the serial port. And now he's actually got it running on the Coco, um, very simply at this point in a 300 baud only. Uh, but he's actually getting it to talk to uh, other machines here via the network three controller, not the network two, and through the serial port, not the cassette. Now he's planning on doing a YouTube video in the coming days to kind of show the full bits of it and i will go through it again when we get to that point um but it's really cool that he's got that running so for the first time we could actually use a network three to interlink you know cocos and model one threes and whatever else uh, uh together I'm on the confused. same you, you, network you said that model the, the model three wasn't out and then how does he have one sorry but I, I didn't think i said that i was talking about the network three controller that, yeah the network three controller you said it was never well no he said that the, 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 the cocoa version. didn't have a serial port at the time when the network three when the network three controller with the serial port came out the cocoa didn't have a serial yeah i didn't have an answer the two pack now it looks like from the ads it looks like they were planning on using the bitbanger which would have worked but they just never got the software done for it so it never really oh. hooked up it they changed the ads later on so network three was basically is that just maybe what deload was supposed to be for was for the um, network three? Well, deload was actually in existence way before that. Oh, because um, that was back on color basic or extended basic in eighty one, so a year or two before the network three came out. But, but yeah, I think they used that. Like, didn't the network two? Weren't you supposed to do a deload on your client? No, that just, just used C load and C load M and C save and C save. Oh, that used C load. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because yeah, it was all cassette were, based. Yeah, yeah. The one the deload is serial based, so that would make sense. Deload but Deload was a, a Microsoft protocol that actually worked on more machines than just the Cocoa phone, I remember. What is right. the device there with okay. the uh, LCD screen? What? It's a scope. Oh, that's an that's oscilloscope. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, so no, where there. is okay. this um, number three? On top of the model, was that 12? Yeah, yep, yeah the open top box on top. There. Oh, yeah. okay, because it isn't apparent as to which one it was. I can zoom in here. Yeah, so there's the network controller. Oh, okay. Right Network three. It doesn't look anything like the previous two. No. Well, it, it totally switched. It went to serial based instead of uh, cassette based. So they could control. They could actually control it from the host computer. Oh, so that that backboard is a whole whack ton of serial port connectors yeah, yep. on the back. And so if you buy this thing without cables, you've been ripped off. Yeah. <laughs> now, really I think if I remember in cable. the comments here, you actually found one of the ads. Uh, that mentioned the Coco's cable for the Bitbanger. Yeah, right here. 
cruise. Yeah, and these are going to be like 20 foot long, and how much does that cost? Yeah. But did you guys ever see Radio Shack Cells? Did this actually make it to be a real part, or is this just a, a pre-release that never got released? Because it's well, a, basically a, a four-bit right to a 25 from Radio Shack. Like, 1494. Hmm. I don't remember ever seeing these, but honestly, I wouldn't have known what I was looking at this early on, 81 or 82. Rick so off I, looking it up. Well, I'm, yeah, a, I'm going to eventually because it has part numbers, so. Oh, you see that it in the 1983 Radio Shack catalog right here. If you can see my screen at all, I don't know if you can or not. Um, well, he did. Yeah. He did publish pictures of the uh, catalogs, but he thinks that they were never released. They were like you know expected to be out September of '82 or something, mm -hmm. and they never got released because they never got the driver or software for it for the Coco. So they were reserved a part oh, number, but never used. It looks like the three and four were out at the same time. All right, the two and three were out at the same time. Uh, network two and network three, mm -hmm. you mean? Yep. Despite the name, the network three controller didn't replace the earlier earlier network two controller. They appeared together along with Oof. the later network four and Radio Shack catalogs until 1987. What did the outside um, cover look like? Was it white or black? Somebody focus me and you'll see it. It's black. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I'll, oh, I'll oh, stop sharing and let, let it see the chair. All right, yeah. we get there. Um, so, yeah, I've, I'm, I've got it on my camera. Go. There it is. Yep, there it is. So you typically only found those in school, so it was sold through the computer centers, not any store. Yeah, but they yeah. didn't have an education number. They had a regular Tandy skew on that. Yep. So I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, the you know, models three, four, all the computers still had the standard... Uh, Excuse well, on. yeah, but the cables had had like regular Tandy skews, not yeah. Tandy Edu. I so anyway, confusing. <laughs> what else is new? Anyway, the the promotional materials, and he's actually got scans of them up on his uh, post there. Uh, if you could check it out on Facebook, and it actually shows the ad saying that this will be coming out for the Cocos, where the Coco can host and become a client, or sorry, the Coco can be a client and a Model Three or whatever would be the host. And uh, as far as he's been able to tell, and as far as from talking to some of the other Tandy people in the Tier City Discord, they don't remember the Coco software ever being ready for it, so it never actually happened. It was kind of a promise in the future type thing. Ah, why am I still sitting here? Is laying on the floor is uncomfortable? I don't know. So this is part of the research he's been doing here, but basically he's got the protocol working now, so we can talk to him all three. He's actually got hex dumps. So you can see the messages going back and forth if we take a look at this post. And he's going to be doing a full... Yeah, here's the other one here. There's the actual price for the cable. Five-foot color computer to network three cable, $20. Which is, you know, I don't even know if the cable came out because they never got the software done to use it, so... Anyway, he's planning on doing a follow-up video, which I definitely will be covering because I'm kind of interested in this myself, especially after hearing like the Coco 3 and the Coco, later Coco 2s cannot run on the Network 2 controller because of the signal differences. They don't actually function properly, so you can't use a Coco 3 on a Network 2 controller. This would bypass that because as far as I know, the R32 has not changed enough to cause issues between them. So once he gets the software running. RS-232 also has a very wide latitude for voltages. Right. Yep. Whereas the cassette, you had, you know, things like, you know, volume level could screw it up. Right. The cassette cable could be wrong. Yeah. 
And I think Rick, you you guys were figuring out what what the difference was between the Coco twos, like ones with the salt, ones without type thing that made a huge difference in why it doesn't work, except on a Coco one, the network two. Yeah, it, it was a whole current versus volume kind of thing. I don't remember the details, but yeah, it's a mess. So get I remember both Chris and Vintage Geek got it working with Coco ones or TDPs only. They never got it working with a Coco two, and it was due to the way the cassettes changed. I mean, if you think trying to make a long cassette cable, like a 20-foot cassette cable, good luck. You can't get yeah. a 3-foot cassette cable to work well. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, it's pretty cool because he's going through the history of what was planned and what did not happen. And now he's, you know, 40 years later getting it working, which is awesome. So is there a program that you have to run in the Coco before you can accept signals? I'll have to wait till his video comes up, but it looks like he had to write his own drivers that Tandy never got done. So that yeah, oh, you will have to load a program for it to work, okay. or maybe burn like any ROM or something. In there or something. Well, it would be using a protocol totally different than that. I'm guessing. Um, right. The whole idea is the client cocos don't have anything on them; they just work. So interesting to see how he makes that work. Yeah, because to be honest, yeah. I've never used the Network 3 on a Model 1 or 3, so I don't even know what it's supposed to look like or what it's trying to do, so I don't know enough to even intelligently answer that question. Chris will know, though, because he's, he's been fiddling with it quite a bit. He's done it, yeah. Yeah. Okay, next up, we got a couple Dragon stories. So Julian Brown posted some updates to his updated Dragon motherboard replacement where he's been working on an issue with line pulses, which is way over my head. Um. I will just read uh, his little text description. I'll play the little short clip he's got of his oscilloscope running on it for the audio listeners here. So it says, I think I found the root of the line pulse issue. The pulses are assembled out of the upper four bits of an 8-bit counter triggered by V-clock. It effectively counts from 0 to 227, then resets. The counter is a single chip, so the count works as intended. The reset appears to propagate cleanly, but when those bits are combined through OR gates, the pattern is slightly wobbly. The video captures the wobble nicely. The cause is still to be found, but I can isolate this to four chips. No nasty signals between them that I've witnessed, but something is interfering. And you can see the wobbles there. So he's working on getting that fixed right now, and he kind of is isolated to four chips, and I'll keep an eye on uh, any further updates that for next week. And then the last story here is uh, Mike Miller, who's actually on our Discord as well and quite active, um, has had a multiple requests to get the uh, manual for the Dream Editor Assembler for the Dragon. Now, that was their premier editor assembler, kind of like Microworks or Edtasm was for the uh, Coco side. And uh, I guess the version for tape, the manual had never been scanned and uploaded before. So he's actually uploaded to the uh, Dragon 3264 owners group on Facebook. He's got two versions in PDF format in there. He's got a raw one, which is nice and small, but a meg. And he's got a much bigger one that actually is fully indexed and searchable. So if you want to look up something on there, you can. I decided to load up just to kind of see what it looks like. Here's the uh, non-searchable one, so a nice short one. And uh, it's 72 pages long. But it kind of shows you how to use the assembler, a little bit about 6809 and registers and how to do tracings and stack dumps and how the condition code register works and blah, 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 blah. So there's a bunch of stuff on there. But this was one that I know a lot of people had mentioned was kind of the premier one or what, at least one of the premier ones on the Dragon. Uh, since as far as I know, I don't think Microworks or Sircom ported their assemblers over to the Dragon. So they kind of had their own in infrastructure there for doing that kind of thing. And that's it for the news this week. No.
Oh, I, I got a stupid question. I have to give you guys some time to go to the Amigos there and contribute to the Children's Hospital Network. I got a stupid question. You know, like um, <clears throat> back in the day when they made gasoline, you know, they had certain standards and it might have been crudely made. And then now I hate to tell you this, refined. but they still make gasoline. Yeah, I know. But now when they make gasoline, they've got all these little flavors of it, you know, and it, and it gets refined to a higher specs or stuff. Right. They don't make gasoline. They make motor fuel. Right. Yeah. So my question is with, with uh, electricity, I know that it's like 60 cycles or whatever, but um, here it is. Yeah. Does it ever um, is, you know, has it been found to be less potent or good as the electric that we used to make <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's kind of a stupid question but maybe not yeah, you're I don't right know. well they can't decide what the voltage is going to be in the states so it used to be 110 then it was 117 now it's 120 i, be I believe that the op i believe that the um rms the optimal slash nameplate rms for the grid in the united states of america is 120 volts at the household outlet so that's going to be 240 volts across a single phase coming into the house. Okay. And I believe that's on a delta. So right. yeah, you're looking at it, you're looking at a three-phase delta, 240 volts per phase, now, one phase what comes is delta? into the house. Delta is the brand name the of, shape the box? of the the shape of the uh the shape of the inductors. You've got your okay. delta and then you've got your Y, and your Y is your 120 volt two oh uh, 120 volt Y or 120 volt three phase where you've got the center point, which is neutral, and then you've got the legs, each of those 120 degrees out of phase, each leg from neutral to from neutral to the phase is 120 volts. And then between the two phases, you have uh, 208 volts. But your delta is each leg between the phases is 240 volts. So that's what you get fed into it. And really the only benefit to like, and that ohmic losses change that, you get voltage loss across transmission lines, you know, however long your line is and things of that nature, that's gonna happen. The only benefit to 60 versus 50 Hertz really that I'm aware of is that the higher frequency means that the transformers are going to be physically smaller. This is why you're switching power supplies can have transformers that are this big, whereas like when the Coco, the transformer is this big because the Coco transformer is dealing with 60 Hertz. Your wall wart is dealing with, oh, I don't know, 100 kilohertz. Exactly. Or it's a, capa or a crappy capacitive dropper and you're all going to die. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Or, or get hacked by a foreign power, one of the two. Yeah. Do we have any, any deeper... awards for, for people explaining properly this stuff? Because <laughs> you would get one. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, any, any no. deeper uh, discussion would require a, uh, uh, a basically an electrician's it's course. Oil hat. <laughs> go off to Coco Tech to have, or something, yeah. <laughs> I, happen to, yeah. I happen to personally know and have at access, not right now, but within a few hours, a licensed electrician and a licensed HVAC person. So we can definitely continue this conversation. <laughs> right. I don't know if you saw Alan's uh, comment in the chat. I'll read it since he's too shy to say it on the air, apparently. Um, 
He says, everything Henry is saying does not matter to Texans because our grid is noisy junk that crashes constantly. So we do 85 to 150 volts. It sounds like static. <laughs> 85 to 150. It's good. Nice. <laughs> so much for plus minus 10%. Well, my, my question wasn't stupid then. <laughs> not well, actually, that, that, what, what, what Alan said, it basically, yeah, I think it follows what you were asking, Ron, was like yeah. have the standards tightened on electricity like they have on gasoline like getting rid yeah. of lead etc yeah, and you know, uh, apparently everywhere but texas yes federal right sure. i don't know when i was in socal when i was in socal about a decade decade ago it was not uncommon for me to stand to be under power lines and hear them going well yeah but they just catch on fire they're the right frequency they just catch on fire that's, that's, <laughs> they so it's like a tesla car gotcha. those lines in a century I'm what sorry, was that, Alan? What was that, Alan? Uh, yeah, standing under a power line in California, that's PG&E. They haven't put any money into maintaining those lines in over a century. Right? Well, in SoCal, they kind of haven't had to because they never rust. Hey. Well, I mean, in the, <laughs> I mean, the standards of fire in the forest. I mean, the standards of power in the North America hasn't changed since, you know, uh, uh, Nikola Tesla, Tesla and Westinghouse had their well, disagreement. No. I mean, I, the, the, I guess uh, you could argue the last here. change was in the 70s when we went to 120 volts from 117. Well, out here, we, was, we don't have telephone poles around our homes. Everything yeah, ours here are all underground. It's all buried, yeah. 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 yeah, and, you know, you just wonder, you know, if it's raining and you start feeling that kind of vibration or something. <laughs> <you know? laughs> if the worms come popping up, don't walk out there. <laughs> Especially if they have a trail of smoke following them as they're flying yeah. through the air. Yeah. <laughs> Theme. Not sure if earthquake or power outage. <laughs> or power surge. The Roadrunner was faster than the Coyote when it's right. not really. Right, but you ain't going to outrun that lightning spark. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those of you that have uninterruptible power supplies near your computer, there are several brands of them that have little monitors in them that you can query from your computer using the uh, management yes. program. Yeah, mine has that. For find out if if it's giving or taking. We well, just chart it, chart it over a month and watch, yeah. you know, at certain times of the day, your electric company will step the voltages up and down because they know yeah. that everyone they're supposed to have left for work and that they're about to come back and things like that. Like so they wash your clothes before three. Yeah, uh, soap opera hours okay. and late at night and you know, but you can also on some of these UPSs, you can actually look <laughs> and see how crap the power you're getting from our <laughs> company actually is. The voltage sags, the brownouts, the spiking noise, pops, all of it. You know, depending on the UPS, it'll capture it all and you can just watch it. All right, because of that, don't don't you think that wear and tears on uh, old computer equipment, you know? Um, uh, no, because you put that on the uh, behind the UPS, the UPS is the disposable thing that takes the takes the abuse. Well, if you don't have one. Well, then, yeah, you plugged it well, in the wall, you're going to get basically the garbage that comes out of the wall. Yeah. Yeah, and your better, your better UPSs will uh, automatically either boost or uh, buck if it gets beyond, you know, like a 10% range. Uh, right. Will, Smooth uh, it out, basically, yeah. Yeah, they will well, kind of keep it at the cost of voltage. Battery. <laughs> and then you look at electronics, like the Coco actually has a switching supply. It's 5 volts, is frequency regulated by the salt chip, so it can say the AC can sag quite a bit before the cocoa sags. 
starts to care. They, they thought about uh, that, you know, back yeah, in they the adjusted day. for it basically. You know? I mean, I mean well, here yeah. my normal is 124 volts. They're from Texas. Mm -hmm. They're used to our crappy grid. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> 85 volts every Tuesday. Sure. So, and most electronic equipment is designed for to to be run at either a, a plus or minus of 10 percent without issues. Beyond that, yay. Maybe get some issues. <laughs> so, um, when, um, and also, when Bob, international when Bob makes his computer run off the. Um, not off the current, you know, off the um, USB. Does he's a, he's actually um, getting better electric to his motherboard than he would if he, he, we were plugged in the wall? Well, well no, the same a, thing. He's using uh, outside power regulated supply to regulate it. <laughs> because the the Coco is using a switching regulated supply to get its five volts. So is the USB lump. So it doesn't yep. matter where it gets. So it's it's kind of the same Pretty thing. Much. We're fixing the the power before we put. Put no. it into our electronics. Pretty much okay. anything north of the salt chip doesn't really matter as long as you're not undervolting the salt chip. Right. Is that why they go? So, I go well, because I mean, they're forty years old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. But it's not. And it's I mean, an analog. And it's an analog power management chip. So you've got analog power management uh, f facilities in there, just like transistors decide to go. I can see a salt chip doing that. Right. Okay. okay. Well, that's all I have for the news. So, uh, anybody else got anything else for the tail end of the show here? I'm just going to add using that PD power supply does give me one little layer of protection before it gets inside the color computer. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Ready for the outro then? Sure. Yep, I think so. Roll that beautiful footage. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022, D. Bruce Moore, mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Okay. Well, um, I think this is the time where we just all say goodbye. Right. Yeah. We made it. <laughs> See you all next week. Uh, right. Expect a special presentation from Tim, Brian, and me if, if things go according to plan and we all can make it. Sweet. Okay. Curtis, you were four, 10 minutes short of the four hours. Yeah, I stretched a little bit, but... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Don't forget everyone. to check out the Amiga Fun and donate uh, to the Children's Hospital oh. if you can. Oh, yeah. Since uh, I still got them up and running here, let's. Uh, uh, oh, come on. See where they're at? Really? Best. Now they're in an app. <laughs> and three, two, one. Thank you. So they got about two, two and a quarter hours left, I think. Okay. They are at now 42 14. Ooh. They were at four thousand nineteen dollars when we looked at it earlier.
and get your virtual Cocoa Fest presentations together. And so, so now exactly. the show is over. We all need to go over there and start filling up the coffers. Do a trouble. <laughs> so that's how we let them know that we're done, that they're going to get a boost. Yeah, so look up Amigos Retro Gaming either on Twitch or YouTube, whichever is your preferred platform for stream, live streaming, and uh, you can join the show there. So we're off. And Amigathon.com for donations. We're off the air right now? No. Nope. No. no. Let me know when, because <laughs> I got a question. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>